you're 21 or older, consume nicotine or tobacco and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. You can order nicotine pouches online. They ship directly to most states or check out their store locator to purchase pouches at thousands of retail locations around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug-bitten, and in my case, underwearless. We hunt the Meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First Light, go farther, stay longer. Oh, this is the, you got the machine on, Phil? It's always on, Steve. Okay. Well, you need to go in and delete everything. Yeah, I was have. like, oh, okay. Oh, can you imagine the black tape? Can you imagine the blackmail tape that Phil could produce, dude? Oh, Jesus us on geo, yeah. like, like us on geopolitics. Yeah. Now, this is more in line with what we're supposed to talk about. Is uh, man, this is a genius idea. I don't like. I feel like um, I hope that me saying this, like that we're gonna do this, makes it that we have like uh, like it's copyrighted now. You know what I'm saying? Timestamp this, Phil. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I just hit the timestamp button. <laughs> at, at this date, we have claimed this came from a listener, but he's out. We're cutting him out of the loop. <laughs> Guy's name's Dan. We got to hook Dan up. This well, I, 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 he gets a free membership. Yeah, you go try to find. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, Dan. This, for getting the idea, at you least five percent off the first month. This is what Dan gets for having the idea. Uh, a dating app called Rut. <laughs> you don't like it, Maggie? No. What would you call it? Yanni said I you just... know Dan's a dude based on the fact that he wants to call the dating app 100%. the Rut. 100%. <laughs> that is correct. What would you call it? I, I just don't have a whole lot of faith in dating apps, period. So you wouldn't, it's not like you'd want to call it like breeding season or something. Like <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, that's far superior. <laughs> okay, so breeding season. Just cut probably, the chase here. Probably go with rut. 
and it's like a dating app. He said, okay, this is a guy that is burned out on dating apps. And he says that he sees that we have an interest in fixing people up. Um, and he says that he's, he's real burned out on dating maps. He said, farmers.com. Have you guys ever? Farmers only? Farmers only. Farm, yeah. yeah. Have, the jingles. So have you, like, how much dating app action have you had in your life? Uh, it's It's been limited because I. To what I, apps? I'm, uh, I guess I haven't tried Farmers Only. Christian Mingle? So, yeah. <laughs> or Christian Mingle. You know, I haven't, uh, I haven't reached out. I've tried Hinge and Tinder. And, you know, I pretty much, I download them, I meet a couple folks, and I delete them. Because it's, hmm. it's just, I don't think it's a great way of meeting people. Yeah, this is our very own Ma- yeah, Maggie oh, yeah. Hudlow. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I've got a ton of friends that go through that whole, like, download, delete, download, delete cycle, like, a let couple me, times a year. Let me ask you more. I want to ask you a series of yes or no questions. It'll be easier I'm on you. I'm so glad this is on we're on first time on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, have you done these? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, I'm going to ask you both a series of yes or no okay. questions. I know you haven't. I haven't. I, I missed. I tell my wife all the time, if I could go back in time, like, <laughs> Normally, I'd want to go to the Pleistocene, but if there was, like, a limit, I would go back in time. <laughs> I would go back in time to, like, a little teeny while ago and do dating apps for one day. Mm. Like, what, I what, think you'd be what, disappointed. It's At just what like phase a of your life would you have been using the dating apps? Like, would this have been Steve well, the prior to was, everything? It would, it would be a weird time machine because... <laughs> yeah, it'd be 22 years. I got Steve, married be before these became a thing. Right. So I'd have to, like... It'd be like a weird time machine that... Made my life go back a certain number of years to when I wasn't married, but then make time fast right, forward to when they exist. go forward to when there is yeah. dating apps. This is a complex this is better machine. than that shit that Michael J. Fox. <laughs> You're gonna put a. It's better than that Delorean the system. Yeah. That Michael J. Fox is Delorean. I don't think it had settings like this. <laughs> mm. And I would online date for one day. I would love to know what Katie's reaction to this is. She knows that, I, but I, I think she missed. Yeah, of course, because we got married the same day. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> you guys weren't missing. <laughs> <like> proxy. <laughs> yeah, so she never did it either. Yanni's never done it. Phil, you probably missed out. I've been with my wife since 2011, so it's kind of right before all that kind of exploded. Corinne, you hit some date naps. Yeah. Really, Kevin, I, you've been married too long. Yeah, I have. I didn't do it. My they best friend out. though met his Kevin, wife. I'm going to ask a series of you guys dating app questions. All three of you, yes or no. Like, just I want to get down. Have you gone on dates from dating apps? Yes. 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 Have you developed a boyfriend slash girlfriend through a dating app meetup? Yes. Yes. No. Okay. Um, Short so series. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's really to the point. Well, <laughs> so here's the deal with Rut. This guy's like, he thinks Farmers Only is full of posers. But rut won't be. Because you got to answer. To get your profile up, you have to do a flash app-based session of meat eater trivia. Yep. And score a certain threshold right. to be on rut. Then when you hook up on rut, you'll know that you're hooking up with someone who like has some idea what they're talking about. Well, there's one in that's kind of a So rep. Phil would not be able to use. I would not. Right. That's too bad. <laughs> I was going to say there's one in kind of the celebrity sphere called Raya. Where they have administrators that have to like uh, approve you. Like, are you famous enough? Are you good looking enough? So you could be the administrator for Rut. You know, that's the time. And I would get too jealous, man. Because I'd be like, (laughs) oh, I'd be like, oh my God, this app is so good. I can't use it. Uh, Everyone in Bozeman 
pretty much claims to be an avid outdoorsman. So yeah, because yeah. that means anything nowadays. That means you go skiing down at it's yeah, like, here, it's like here we go. you go up to Disneyland. <laughs> yeah. You go up to Disneyland up the road there and act like that's the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it another knock on? Giannis is I, shaking that, his head. That was so far out there. I didn't even catch him. Like, uh, huh, I wonder what he's talking about. Uh, <laughs> Steve and I are in the same boat. I actually posted something like that on social media the other day. And it got taken down. Instagram told me that it was hate speech. And I was like, I can't make fun of my fellow white people and their obsession with skiing. Like, oh, no. Can't what? do it. You got in trouble for making fun of white people? Yeah. Good. Yeah. <laughs> what did you say? Good, I dude. was like, I just landed in Bozeman. I was like, let me tell you about white people. White people fucking love sliding down snowy hills. They can't get enough of that shit. And That's they were gr- like, hate speech. Like, That's great that they're policing that, man. Yeah. I was like, by the way, that was just a statement you know of what? fact, though. Like, just so we're clear, I didn't make, like, that is true what I said. Because when people bring up that, like, if you're, like, a white male, you're supposed to, like, just take it now, you know? <laughs> but I'm pointing out, but, but, but I'm hearing from people that we always oppress that, that, that it sucked. Yeah. So why, like, if it sucks so bad and you agree that it sucks, yeah. why should I want to go, like, you just told me it sucks. Yeah. So I, I feel like you're setting me up to not want to do it. You know? Yeah. So... You guys are all real quiet now. <laughs> I'm just saying that I'll I'll take it. Send any white person hate speech to <laughs> Phil Taylor 25 like, on Instagram. From what I've heard, <laughs> I have heard that being stereotyped against is not good. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not, I don't I don't like go out of my way to get it. Uh, Back to Rut. And you guys. I mean, oh, yeah, uh, Rut, I'm the dating just, app. W- yeah, w- right. One of our favorite individual. Not a f- yeah, I'd say one of our favorite individuals, a pilot in Alaska. That I've been recently in contact with that uh, is going to take uh, Jordan Bud and I caribou hunting yeah. uh, in August. Nice. Uh, when I caught up to him, he was on a family ski vacation in Girdwood, <laughs> Alaska. And Steve and I were texting. I said, yeah, uh, we're going to go caribou hunting. He said, love that guy, man. Just a real great guy. I said, yeah, avid skier too. And he, <laughs> what was your reply? Bullshit. I said, no, he was on a ski vacation. He's like, well, I thought he was cool. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't know if I want to get into this right now. You can't give away the secrets of rut just yet. That's how you're going to end up. Oh, losing. the other thing is you got to have a valid hunting license to join. Mm. Nice. Doesn't matter what state though. There's a gate. Yeah. Could you have tiers of that? Like if you have five states, yeah. you really are oh, yeah. in this group. Oh, I then like you get those idea. like superstars uh-huh. or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. Pushed into everyone's yeah. profile <laughs> of your uh, chances. <laughs> real quick, uh, just to return. I know that people are probably real sick of hearing about apps, but what's the app? That you have for celebrities, Raya. That's how that's how celebrities find each other is on an app. Some of them, yeah. Hmm. I think you need to. I thought they just. I think you just need to talk Katie into letting you sign up. Have their agents hook them up. Yeah. (laughs) So like you'd go on there and there'd be like I don't know name a celebrity I don't know Steve (laughs) Ranella. You could probably get on Raya. I think it's a low threshold. It's a low threshold. It didn't say you had to be an A list celebrity. You know. It could be a C. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe even a D. Who knows? Do you guys ever play that bar game, Big Buck Hunter? Oh, yeah. No, but... You, you know what I'm talking about? I know, yeah. It, it's like <laughs> an ongoing dispute with my kids. Oh, yeah. anyways, you know, it's like you, you get enough matches, and then it's like, you're a hunter hero. <laughs> <laughs> my buddy, yeah. uh, Jimmy Dorn, used to have a pizza place in Seattle, and um, that's, I feel like I've probably told the story how me and Jimmy Dorn met. Anyhow. He had Buck Hunter in that pizza place. And we'd go in there and he'd give my kids rolls of quarters. 
And I was like, dude, don't let him play that game, man. They'd just be in there playing that game. He used to, just, he used to think it was funny. Well, Steve, it kind of goes back. How much it upset me. It kind of goes back to how you say when you're at a wedding, you always just kind of scope out the guy. It's like, I'm going to find the hunter, and yeah. I'm going to talk to him for a while. Yeah. I think Raya is sort of that. Because, you know, when, when, when you're a celebrity, I assume you just get a lot of very, like, inauthentic conversations and, and interactions of people just trying to sidle up to you yeah, or, sure. you know, kiss your ass. So I think Raya is kind of a way to, it's like an agreement, like, I'm sort of famous, you're sort of famous, let's get mm. together and do whatever we want. It's yeah, no, I like it. About that. it mm. Yeah. Uh, moving on. Here, here's a, yeah, here's an interesting thing. So we're a little late on this because it's already happened. Colorado Parks and Wildlife. This is an interesting issue because this comes up in, this, is, this comes up in a lot of states and will continue to come up in a lot of states. So a feller named Trevor is with a nonprofit ad- advocacy and restoration group called Grasslands Unlimited. They, su- they submitted a petition to Colorado Parks and Wildlife seeking the legal reclassification of bison that cross from Utah into Colorado. Here's what that means. Well, let me read the rest of this thing. Any such animals right now are regarded as livestock and are not protected by Colorado Parks and Wildlife regulations, meaning they get shot almost immediately. Reclassification would protect the animals and allow them not only safety once in Colorado, but also potentially an opportunity to repopulate their historic range throughout Colorado and perhaps even expand fair chase, free-range bison hunting opportunities. He's the president of Grasslands Unlimited. Uh, Let me unpack this for a minute. Every animal, every native land mammal in this country can move from state to state and still be wildlife. If a wolverine crosses state lines, it's wildlife. Elk, moose, wolf, grizzly bear, black bear, it can move across geopolitical boundaries and still would be like everybody would agree it's wildlife. Somehow, I, I get into this a bit in my Buffalo book, somehow it came to be that not Buffalo. I think it was because at one time they were so whittled down and the only ones that were left, you know, we had like a hundred of them yeah. were in captivity or, or like closely guarded that people like instantly got used to them all being in one place in a fence and they've never been welcomed back on the landscape. But there was a time when New Mexico had zero elk, like elk were extirpated from New Mexico, right? Right. There's elk in New Mexico now. If an elk crosses from Arizona to New Mexico, he doesn't cease being an elk. So it's just a weird hiccup in wildlife law. What there, so what this would mean is you could have a you could have a wild herd. Um, well, you know this this happens maybe happens all over the place. Uh, for a long time, bison leaving Yellowstone National Park, they would step into Montana and immediately they would become the property of the livestock department of livestock. So here you have some free roaming ones in Utah. But once they crawl, once they cross into Colorado, Colorado doesn't have the capacity to manage their, not the capacity. They're not legally able to manage them as wildlife. So they fall into like errant livestock. Um, I think they should do away with all that stuff, man. It's they, real contentious. Do they become the property of the landowner where they're occupying their land? If they're Would like, be my if, guess. It'd be yeah. like the same way as if a donkey showed up on your land. That happens all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, it's a weird deal. Like, 
you could have, I, I made this point before, like you could have uh, elk go from Yellowstone National Park into national, all in one day. And he could, he could feasibly do this quite easily. Right. Go from Yellowstone National Park into, onto municipal property and say Gardner. Right. Onto a dude's land in Gardner, onto National Forest, onto a state section, onto a fish, wildlife, and park river access site. And throughout the day that, and then, and then into Wyoming, that'd be hard. But let's just say, uh, that some bitch was an elk all day long. <laughs> he was a wild elk all yeah. day long, but we don't, we it's like for Buffalo, we don't have it. So if that, so if like all the Buffalo that are, you know, outside of like the Tetons worked their way across into Idaho or something like that, their livestock in Idaho. I don't know how live, I don't know how Idaho runs it. I'm not sure what they do. Would, yeah. Do you, uh, but do I think it has anything at all to do with that. They were not that they're not like pure blooded or whatever. There's a lot of like, pro, there's a lot of like argument. There's a lot of insincere arguments that get thrown into it. Mm. So here for a long time, it was that bison were given a Eurasian livestock disease called brucellosis. Okay. So cattle gave brucellosis to bison. Um, bison have often are often gunned down on even on public land under the auspice under the idea that they're going to spread. They're going to transmit brucellosis. And so the state has if a state has brucellosis free status, they don't have to test for brucellosis in cattle. But once there's a brucellosis infection in a state in some corner of the state, the whole damn state has to go back to brucellosis testing. That all sounds perfectly reasonable, except there's a wrinkle in it. The elk all have brucellosis and they move wherever they want. Yeah. And elk intermingle with cattle. Mm-hmm. It's just like a weird deal. Brucellosis mm-hmm. causes heifers to abort, abort yeah. a fetus. Mm-hmm. So, like, but elk have it. And no one's ever suggested that they gun down every elk that crosses the state lines because it's carrying brucellosis. So there's that. There's like the, they're dangerous to, you know, they'll now and then kill something. They'll kill a horse or whatever. They go through fences, which is legit. They just walk through fences and that pisses people off. Yeah. And they eat grass and that pisses people off. Like those are the legitimate ones, but people are often like acting like it's something else that they're mad about. Gotcha. Um, if I had to, like, if I had to do the, uh, if I had to crystal ball it, I would crystal ball it that in 20 years they have they have greater acceptance. Here's my prediction. Like if I was got to do a time capsule, I'd put a note in the time capsule that said there are more bison and you're hunting them more often. I would put that into a time capsule. Yeah. Shouldn't I mean Colorado's addressing this right now, but do you see it being addressed on a federal level in the future? They became the national mammal. But no, I don't. I think it's going to be state by state. And there's a lot of, like, it, it, it's all really, you know, the here in this state, there's a lot of conversation about trying to restore a, a free-roaming herd in the Charles M. Russell. Right. In the CMR, mm-hmm. right, in the refuge. Uh, a lot of people, that really pisses off a lot of people for the reason of the fencing. 
and grass competition. And people are looking like, well, I lease some of that and I run my cattle on it. And now you want to put like, now you're hoping to have like eight, 9,000 bison running around on it. What's that going to mean for my long-term, the long-term viability of my grazing program? And so then you get people who are just like, I don't like that because it just sounds like something different. And I'm doing good under the current system. But my, yeah, my time capsule is that you'll be hunting. You'll have more opportunities to draw bison tags in the future, and it'll be more likely that you live in a state where the state regards them as wildlife and not livestock. I wonder if somewhere like Texas, where, you know, even elk are considered exotics, like I wonder if you end up with bison there, if they're going to become this non-native and be, you know, hunt, hunted under a an exotic tag where you can just hunt them year round, no bag limit, all that kind of stuff. I'd like to know? know what tech, how Texas handles it. The mm-hmm. elk thing in Texas is crazy to me. It's then you're talking about a native animal and you're yeah. damn sure talking about a native animal with, with bison, but I would be shocked if Texas regards bison as livestock or regards bison as wildlife. Yeah. Even though some of the biggest, you know, some of the big hide hunters, the, some of the biggest hide hunter slaughters were on the Texas panhandle. I mean, right now Texas claims them as an exotic. They do. They do. Yeah. Because Same, they'll yeah. have them on like these big ass hunting ranches and, you know, they're, they're fair game just like anything else is. You don't have to have a specific tag for them. You just have your general hunting license uh, and that's it. You can, you can What's, them. What I find unfortunate about that is it was some players down in the Texas panhandle that were most instrumental in saving them from extinction. Yeah. There's the irony of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Buffalo, this dude, Buffalo Jones. And then like, what's that, that property, like the Good Night? Yeah, the Good Night Ranch. He was real instrumental in it. So they had kind of have this legacy of, uh, you know, these reformed hide hunters trying to save them. And it seems like you would honor that legacy hmm. with like regarding them as native wildlife. Here's a, here's an elk article out of Utah that's interesting. Um, I mean, it kind of like tells people what they already know. That when it's elk season, elk leave public land and go on to private land. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. True story. It's like one of those articles where you're like, you don't say. Yeah. But it, but it does put it, it puts some numbers around it. In the Journal of Wildlife Management um, in Utah, okay, elk reduced by the middle of right, by the middle of firearm season, elk had reduced their use of public lands by 30%. Onto private land. Um, the herd returned to public land almost immediately after the season ended. Like they know. This is based on the patterns of 445 elk with tracking collars in the Wasatch Range. Am I saying that right, Yanni? Mm-hmm. The, the collars would ping every 13 hours. wonder why 13 hours. I'd have said it at 12. <laughs> That maybe that you know what extra, I mean? maybe that extra <laughs> yeah. hour saves a lot of battery. Yeah. I, would have, I would have felt like I don't know, man. Twelve. Lucky number you know, thirteen. Tw- <laughs> twice <laughs> a day. Interestingly, because I'd have said it for noon and midnight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was talking to Garrett Long's dad the other day, and uh, he was out hunting late season cows, which you can only hunt on private land. Oh, in Montana, I didn't know that. I mean, there's a few units that have public land, late season cow hunts, but these that go like well into February, mostly on private land. And they were dealing with the exact opposite. He's like, I've hunted this spot during rifle season and those damn elk are always on the public. Now I, or they're always on the private. I have access to the public now. And the elk were like literally three days in a row hanging out like 50 to 100 yards 
on the onto the public land and not on the private where they could shoot Dude, they're at smart, them. man. Yeah. My old man used to talk about like they used to hunt geese back when there weren't like any geese. Um in the fifties. They'd hunt geese in southern Illinois and they'd hunt on these refuges that you couldn't uh there's probably still some this way. Mm-hmm. You could only shoot till noon. Yeah. Or whatever the hell a lot it was. Still that way. Yeah. Yeah. He said that, man, he says at noon. You're packing up your stuff, and they're pouring in. It was so <laughs> like what they would normally do at a different yep, time of day. Yeah. They're just pouring in <laughs> yeah. as you're picking your stuff up. When I was down in Arkansas with Clay this January, <clears throat> we were hunting public, uh, big famous public area that closes at noon, and at like two a t at twelve o one, the refuge all up in the air, pouring into the public timber, like. Tens of thousands of ducks at 12.01 are like, okay, now it's time to go to the timber because the hunters are gone. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, as we talked about, that you have banded birds that are like 17, 18 years old. It gives them a couple years to put it together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to think that they do. You know, that was the thing that was interesting to me about these elk the day after season moving back onto it. You almost wonder if that becomes ingrained in them that they do understand the dates to some level. Yeah. Or is it because they're like aware there's not pressure there today? Like, is it there's no human activity there today? Or is it because they've learned over well, time? I imagine what those you can move, roughly... move the season dates by two weeks and they would still Same thing. Yeah, yeah, wait, fair. wait until the trucks leave. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, I think and, there's like indicators, man. That's one of my favorite Doug mm-hmm. Duran stories is when he killed the standard that, uh, he took his uh, skid steer or something in there. I don't know what he took. And the just standard like, is a giant, biggest ever buck killed on the Duran farm. But he saw it. Don't know that. In a, yeah, he saw an area, and when he went in there, he took his tractor in there and left his tractor running while he hung his sign, you know, oh, or while he tricky. hung his stand, mm. right? Because he's like, he just didn't want to do any little like thing where they're like, shit, that's a weird truck. Yeah, uh, I think that's a hundred percent true. Like we see that on my like hunting property in Georgia, that they have a completely different reaction to the sound of your truck than they do to even like, you know, your like side-by-side, like the sound of the engine. Yep. Like, like snow geese. a completely different reaction. So yeah. snow geese hardly bad an eye at a truck driving by, but yeah. if that truck slows down, they're gone quick. Yeah, you yeah. see pronghorn like that. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah. I, I don't mind cars that are moving real fast. I just yeah. don't like the slow ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they tend to have something hanging out the window. Joined today by Magley Hudlow, very own. You're not up yet. I'm just telling you. I'm just doing introductions. Kevin Gillespie. Uh, Phil's here. Corinne. Sean Weaver. In the flesh. Yep. Hey, do you know how many... Um, I should ask you this question. Canada Goose, you know that Parker company? Mm-hmm. How many geese have to go into one of those jackets? I've been trying to figure that out. Uh, there's a There's a company in California doing... Hunter sourced down, wow. which is real cool. cool. That is cool. But because part of what miffs me about Canada geese is a goose or whatever the park is. I guess even Anderson Cooper has one of these damn things. What are they called? Canada goose. They they made this big thing out of how they're not putting real coyote fur on the their stuff. Like this mm-hmm. year, they're phasing out all fur. Okay. And I asked a buddy of mine who's a furrier. I said, how many? How many fur cut? How many fur ruffs could Canada goose get off one coyote? He said three to five. 
But the best I can tell, there's 12 damn geese mm. inside the jacket. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 probably <laughs> even more than that. Right. It's probably even more than that. I spent some time on it, and I put someone else on the question, and she's like, man, it's really hard to figure out the answer, but I think about a dozen. So you got a dozen dead things in your coat and a fifth of a dead thing on the outside of your coat. Yeah. And they're getting rid of the dead thing on the outside of the coat. I need to... I'm going to call it up that. I feel like the guys at like Catabatic or... Next time I come on, I'll have that. I'm going to call that company in California because that's an interesting yeah. question. They're doing it with... So they've got all those re- refuges down in the valley out there. And hunters, when they're done with their birds, they offer a plucking service. So they're, they they kind of have a cool double dip going on mm-hmm. where bir- the, uh, where hunters can bring the birds to them to get plucked. They charge them for the pluck. But then they also get to keep the feathers and really, make, yeah, they make pillows and yeah. My old man like did that. a sleeping bag with his own feathers, but he said it was a pain in the ass. Oh yeah, yeah. he had bags and bags and bags of them. And then they had to like shampoo them. He, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you yeah, have he to get rid difficult. of the big feathers, right? And yeah. then just try to keep the down. Yeah, he didn't suggest it. He had trash bags full of feathers while he was trying to. I sure would like my up. own coat filled with down I harvested myself. You know what cool. else he did, man? And I don't know what happened to it. He had a. He had, you remember like in the 70s, he'd wear like a business coat made out of leather with like a belt on it and shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He had a, he had his own, he saved all of his own deer skins and had his own buckskin business coat. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, dyed black. That seems like that's a, you look like a serious pimp. I was pimp. like, that's oh, a yeah. strong oh, look right you there. Look like a mega, <laughs> yeah, you look like a mega pimp wearing this yeah. jacket. Yeah. He's even got like the belt. Bu- yeah, the that's belt. not low key. Oh yeah, you wouldn't be able to run around yeah. it now. It, have, it, have, it would have a lot more personality than I have. Yeah. <laughs> you don't still have this jacket? I gotta find. I don't know what happened to it. Last time I was home, I was trying to find. Man, it. Man, that would be awesome. Um, guy wrote in uh, with CWD. Like this guy's interested in brain tanning. Yeah, you missed a really good segue there. I'm surprised that. Oh yeah, speaking of that buckskin jacket. Yeah, come on. <laughs> it's good to have you back, Yanni. <laughs> Is uh. So chronic wasting disease, right, concentrates in the nervous systems of animals, spine, brain. He's like, man, what about brain tanning? Are you are you worried about, I, don't, I mean, I don't brain tan, but he's saying, should a feller be worried about brain tanning with CWD uh, so prevalent in America's deer herds? Hmm. It's just kind of obvious, though, <laughs> right? I mean. Heffelfinger. I don't think it's obvious. Dude. I don't think so no. either. If you said to me, let's say you sat me down, you put a gun to my head. Okay. Okay. And you said, listen, Sonny. Everyone, you- Steve's got his little <laughs> finger stuck <laughs> up. <laughs> like a fake you gun. said, you either eat that CWD infected deer meat or brain tan his hide. I would put my latex gloves on and brain tan that hide 10 times over. 10 times over. I'm imagining this person with the gun in that buckskin okay, jacket. Okay, well, like, that's like, <laughs> I'm like, I sure that's what this is all about. Yeah. <laughs> Take it real I want to understand why you think that way, though, because you're directly handling the nervous system. Because I'm not ingesting them, and I got my latex gloves on, and I'm not ingesting them. Okay. And I'll put like a like a you know like when you have a little kid and they have a pacifier and it's got that lip guard around it. <laughs> I'll put one of those in. Okay. 
to prevent stuff from getting in around yep. my lips. Looking super pimp. And yeah. I'll put... Um, you know, there's a bunch of masks, <laughs> I mean, masks laying, around, yeah, laying oh. around these days. Yeah, because yeah. I was wondering what I was going to do with that. all my... I was wondering what I was going to do with all my COVID masks. <laughs> yeah. yeah so. Instead, Steve's immediately like, I need to get one of those adult, like, <laughs> rave pacifiers so that I can brain tan my own eyes now. <laughs> no, I forgot about masks. I forgot about... <laughs> How short your memory is. Yeah. I forgot about COVID masks. <laughs> It is like, what are people going to do with those masks? I think it'd be sweet to make a goose down quilt out of all your COVID masks. <laughs> <laughs> like sew the little things together. Old school Appalachian style. Our goose season in 2022, let me tell you. He- oh, so, so Duran points out that he don't eat deer meat that is CW positive. Okay. Heffelfinger, uh, Crin brought it to Heffelfinger. Heffelfinger, James Heffelfinger. Do we still have that Heffelfinger song? He's a conservation ringer. Uh, he says he wouldn't do it if it was positive or if it was untested, but if you had the deer and it was tested negative, which you should do anyway, like if you have testing available to you, I don't care if you decide to eat it. I should say, I don't care. Even if you don't care and are going to eat CWD positive meat, and I'll point out no human has caught anything from deer yet, yet. People have eaten hundreds of thousands of pounds of infected deer meat and no one's gotten it yet. So if you like, well, what are the chances I'll be the first and you're eating it, I would still encourage you to get it tested just so they can use it for like getting it tested doesn't mean that you're going to pitch it. Just getting it just so they can track infection rates. Yeah. Right. Like why not? Which is a great segue into the next talking point. CWD mapping info. Oh, did I say that Heffelfinger says if he got it tested and it was negative, he would brain tan with it? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I meant by the common sense part, right? Yeah. But so we're harkening back here to episode 307, talking about things that are not sexy to talk about. Um, and someone was mentioning how there should be a CWD, a single database where you can see all CWD stuff. I'm sure there's got to be a million of them. I don't know. Uh, Matt Dunphy of the Wildlife Management Institute, who's been working on the software behind www.cwd-info.org, went public the other week. They don't mean like public on Wall Street. <laughs> made made available to the public the other week. Um, Heffelfinger. I don't know if you want to play that thing all over again, Phil. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> He says it's long been the best source of CWD info. These new apps and maps on the website allow you to visualize a lot of great CWD information in a useful way. When there's a new state that finds CWD, it shows up here within 24 hours or so. So it's good to have the site bookmarked. That's interesting. All right, if you live in Wisconsin um, and you're looking forward to your tax return this year, how's that? <laughs> that was like being on like a nightly news program. Or there something, you go. Man. Yeah. Wisconsinites looking forward to their tax return. I thought I was uh, sitting next to Jimmy Fallon for a you second. Might, you might get an extra 10 bucks if you got a wolf fee because those sons of bitches uh, put wolves in the lower 48. They. they Put them back on the ESA list. 
which is unbelievable, outside of the Northern Rockies. Unbelievable that they would have done this, but they did it. You just can't win, man, in the no. political climate today. Yeah. Everybody screws you in some way or another. So Wisconsin has a give back everybody's application fee. So if you live in Wisconsin, you applied for a 2021 fall wolf harvest permit or preference point, watch the mail because your 10 bucks is coming back to you. <laughs> so lame. <laughs> and you get, they'll restore all your wolf preference points. So when this gets sorted out and they get, <laughs> so that's sweet. Yeah, that's a. Uh, to hold preference points. Thank you. So when generous. They, when they get it sorted out, you'll still have your preference points. Yeah, what a mess. Man. I I hate to be that guy, but I'd love to know how many I'd love to know this change, like how much money has to be spent in all this to right. refund everybody their Exactly. That's what I was bucks. thinking. Yeah. I was because, like, how much of yeah. the 10 bucks are we spending to refund the 10 bucks? Like 13. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel bad for those guys. And, yeah. and like, because it's jo- the state, joke, they're going to literally mail you a $10 check. Like which then you'll be like, oh, that was great, thanks. And I, now I'm that guy who has to physically go to the bank and be like, I'd like to cash my ten dollars check, please. Who, who, just, does, who, who wrote on this document? Who, who put that more titillating headline up there? I did. Crin's like spin doctor, dude. <laughs> There's an article. There's a study. This surprised the shit out of me. Meat consumption is positively associated with life expectancy. To which Crin's headline is, vegetarianism might shorten your lifespan. (laughs) It's like, in other words, this surprised me. Because all you ever do is read about how that stuff's killing you. Even though people I know, it's just like, it gets a little complicated. People I know who are, like, the people I know who are, um, like, most strong, you know? Yeah. Like, like physically strong, you mean? Oh, yeah. Just like people that are like, do crazy shit. Yeah. yeah. Eat burgers and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's always like, they're always telling you how bad it is. A team of scientists from Australia, Italy, Poland, and Switzerland, so a good mix, examined the association between meat intake and life expectancy at a population level based on ecological data published by the United Nations agencies. It is estimated that 20 to 30% of human life expectancy is determined by genetic factors and 70 to 80% is determined by environmental factors. Over the last 50 years, although the associations between meat eating and illness are circumstantial and controversial to some extent, they have prompted the spread of vegetarianism and veganism based on the assumption that non-meat diets provide more health benefits than diets that include meat. Um, if you do yourself a favor and read Son of the Morning Star, okay, uh, he talks about what happened at the Battle of Little Bighorn, and uh, compared to the cavalry soldiers, the Euro American, like the white cavalry soldiers, right? Just in, in the diet they were on when they came up against these people who lived off bison meat. Um, they were astounded, like the, the Sioux, the Oglala and Unkpapa Sioux in the Northern Cheyenne. He describes those people going through the cavalry soldiers like a wolf through sheep. I mean, there's huge, there's a ton, fighting people. Yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> a ton of information out there that 
you know, various aspects of, uh, you know, a balanced quote unquote diet, like grains, for example, like that they have huge health related issues. So it's like uh, all of these arguments, there's a counter argument for every single one of them. And sure. some scientist has signed his name to the bottom of it. So, you know, uh, Yanni, my, Yanni goes to my doctor. Okay. <laughs> He's also my doctor. Pretty soon everybody in our company is going to go to the same yep. doctor. <laughs> this is going to be weird. There are a couple other people that come <laughs> She to took a look. Tell, 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 uh, tell everybody what she told you, Yanni. Uh, but you just overall everything. Oh, just that, yeah, that, you know, for 40 year old, uh, 40, 40 year old white, do him a banner of health. So. Yeah, keep, I, saw, keep eating what I saw Yanni eating a, a eating a liver pate and bread, but he like <laughs> laid down a very generous <laughs> oh, layer yeah. of butter. That's how you got it. Oh, yeah, below his pate. Yeah, you got to prime it. You know, you and can't I was just like, go straight on. I was with like, liver he's pate. there, Yanni, and he yeah. said, "Hey, man, I got it straight from the high end doctor, <laughs> your doctor, <laughs> my doctor, that I can just do what I'm doing because I'm kicking ass." <laughs> <laughs> uh, it goes on to say. Moreover, it has been argued that vegetarianism and veganism form a part of trendy Western consumerist lifestyles only accessible to privileged white people. Hmm. Vegetarian that has been prevalent in Western countries has been subject to prejudice, low self What's this all now? That's, vegetarianism that has been prevalent in Western countries has been subject to Prejudice, low self-esteem, and low psychological adjustment? I have no idea. I think we just need to I got skip, tripped up on that, that one, too. Yep. But I do think the next paragraph is worth saying that <laughs> I got a, little... a, a lot of the uh, studies that have been done th that come out with the results that vegetarians, vegetarian uh, lifestyle and diet is good for you, that they um, there's a lack of population representativeness and a failure to remove the influence of lifestyle in these studies. Yeah, it's like right. when you see a statistic. I've never seen a statistic that pet ownership makes you live longer. And it'd be like, well, pet ownership is associated with with being stationary and and financially well off. But like that's so no like, shit. That's mm -hmm. like my clickbaity title. I'm like doing oh, exactly what what Metten <laughs> was against in terms of science journalism. Yeah, right? it's a great title. It's like uh, mansions. Are associated with long life. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, these guys examined the overall health effects of a, of total meat consumption in 175 countries. They did their they did their work. Yeah, that was that's a that's pretty exhaustive. And I think that comment oh, about that the, gets like, around the socioeconomic thing. Like, if you're eating mm -hmm. a lot of meat, you probably have you probably have expendable income, and you probably seek healthcare, or yet you're more likely to have money for healthcare. Yeah, theoretically, but by that same token, what they're saying is that in sort of Western society, especially if you consider the United States, like like a vegetarian diet can be very cost prohibitive because oh, like the veganism the, because right that's what I mean man. like the yeah. and so I get the whole like low self esteem all that kind of stuff. I think they're just making social commentary on the mm -hmm. idea that it comes. It's just another form of elitism that that people want to try to do it, but then it escapes them because they don't quite have the right. They don't live in the right town. They don't have enough money. They can't shop at the grocery store that the, you know, that's banging that drum. Like they can't, because then it just drives people to all the other stuff. Like oh, I can't, I can't just eat regular spinach. I got to buy this spinach mm -hmm. instead. Like I, I just, I think it's a slippery slope. It's kind of a big broad brush stroke to say that. But I also understand that in our current society, advocating for vegetarianism also comes with a pretty like loud. Um, you know what's what's the term that they use? Like um, 
that you're basically patting yourself on the back for it too, you know, and condemning everybody yeah. else. Yeah, not to get too far into the weeds, but that's always been one of the things I like to talk about and bring up when when people are against, you know, everyone using meat as their source of protein. It's like, well, some places that's their only source of protein. Right. Like they don't have access to, you know, like most of the world, well, most of the world <laughs> eats goat, right? Yeah. Like they don't have access to... There's there's a lot of misconceptions about the idea that we can just convert rangeland into right. farmland. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's a whole other conversation that everybody thinks like, well, why don't we just plant vegetables there instead of cattle? Like, because you can't plant anything there. It's just a bunch of fucking rocks. Like the only thing yeah, that can yeah, be it. there are cattle. So, like when they point out the inefficiencies yeah, of livestock. Yeah, yeah, it's like it's just it's I don't know. It's a wasted argument, and I think it's unfortunately now instead of it being an argument that's based purely on you know what's best for the environment or what's best for you health-wise, now we've all, like, treaded into this world of what's best for your ability to sort of um, commend yourself for doing the right thing all the time. Like, Well, and I think it's also important to note that it's, like, I don't think this study's saying, you know, like, these folks aren't eating, they're not eating sausage for breakfast, a hamburger for lunch, and right. a steak for dinner. You know, I think, like, optimal health is, like, an omnivore kind of way of eating. It's, like, eating balanced and eating, like, intelligently eating like what you have available like you said some people eat goat some people eat whatever they have i think a lot of media is like feeding you this idea that like you're a good person if you're a vegan exactly and if you eat you're a bad person and i think it's important to have studies like this that are like hey you know eating meat is healthy like having a diverse like plate is healthy and i think i think that's kind of like a big takeaway is that like Eating vegan is not going to – eating vegetarian is not going to prolong your life any more than than eating meat. Do you remember that guy we had on that claimed that the only thing mm-hmm. he ate is meat? I wonder if he's he still doing eat? it. Maybe he is. Like nose, head to – what is it? Head to tail? No. Nose well, to he tail. Ate like, That's it. Yeah, animal, like ate like ligaments and he, he says that he doesn't eat anything but – was it and no fried meat? Yep, he won't eat exactly. fish. Yep. He Who won't eat it? fish. Paul's I value meal. happiness. And I love fried meat. <laughs> well, that, that was his claim. He sat right where you're sitting right now yep. and told and, and yep. made, laid out the claim. Anyway, he I was pointing him out on Instagram. He was pointing out that uh, when they see these things like the consumption of meat being associated with all this and that, heart disease and all that, he's like, well, that's not the meat's fault. It's like how you go about it. Yeah. Are you going to McDonald's? Right, right, and getting like the like triple cheeseburger, large fry, and a milkshake. Right. So then, when someone comes and looks at the fact that like how often you're eating that diet, and then they find those things, it's not untangling. It, they're not. He, he pointed to a number of studies said it doesn't do a good job of untangling all these other like lifestyle choices and ancillary dietary choices by. People who are eating meat with high frequency, meaning like the breakfast sausage, burger, steak, fries, cream spinach crowd. Yeah. Um, and that if you were just eating like a uh, boiled squirrel, you might not have the same, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, that's, yeah, exactly. It's like not all meat is created equal. Like nutritionally speaking, like the various species are completely different. And even, even then when you get to the difference between um, just kind of modern practices of raising animals for meat consumption. They, nutritionally, they're very different today than they were even 50, 60, 70 years ago because of consumer demand for 
particular texture, particular flavor, particular tenderness, all these kind of things. And what goes along with that is a, an adjusted sort of uh, nutritional value, you know, some, some positively and some negatively. Speaking of fast food, uh, Max, mm-hmm. Sean's uh, tight, tight colleague. Yep. He, the other day, was eating, uh, um, he was taking his wild turkey tenders and making an exact replica of uh, what's that restaurant you and me went to that one time for the first time? The famous chicken place, Chick Fil A. Chick Fil A. He made he makes an exact Chick Fil A replica. Mm. They probably brine it in what like pickle juice or crack or something. It's a little bit the same time. Yeah. <laughs> We've got the recipe yeah, on the he, website. Yeah, he, yeah, he does. Good. He makes the but he yeah. had. He had his own bottle. Of, he like somehow came into a bottle of Chick Fil A, like signature Chick Fil A sauce. But everything else he's making himself, and then he dumped the Chick Fil A sauce. I watched meet two of them. The some bitch never even said something like, "Hey, you want a bite?" <laughs> oh man, I was to meet a Maggie, <laughs> ate two of them, and the whole time he's eating them, I'm asking him questions about it and stuff. <laughs> Finished him, licked his fingers, licked his fingers, and walked back upstairs. Read the office lunchroom area there. Walked out of the room and gave you the middle finger. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm not yeah. going to lie. He, like, he sumptuously licked his middle finger and walked yeah. away. Yeah. yeah, but that's because he looked at your like socioeconomic place in the world, and he thought, I don't need to offer this to you. He's like, I know what that dude's freezer looks like. There's uh, 15 species in there. <laughs> Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off-road map and navigation app is the best to find off-road trails and off-grid camping and to use fully functional GPS when you're out of service. And as we all know, that being out of service is usually where the best places start. Plus, there's color-coded public and private land boundaries, which are super handy for finding off-grid camping. And I said it before, but I want to make sure it sticks. Offline maps. What this means is it allows you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Just download the map ahead of time. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. I've been using OnX for many years. I use it, I'm not joking, on a daily basis. There is zero hunting I do without OnX. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better. Because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know, they seem great to me. Just an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. 
The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Decked is a game changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck out of the way and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. Hey man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, well, what's the catch? But it turns out there isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, Go to mintmobile.com slash meat eater. That's mintmobile.com slash meat eater. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash meat eater. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. We need to, we're going to buy the, what is it actually? Warner Bruntler? What is it? Warner Bratzler. Yeah, Warner Brat. <laughs> we're going to buy a Warner Brat. If so, if you work at the place that makes the Warner Bratzler Shear Force test, this is a wonderful integration marketing <laughs> opportunity for you. If not, we're going to buy our own. We're going to buy our own Shear Force test and we'll start right here. We'll just start testing everything. Start with this table. Yep. Be like, I'm, start, <laughs> I'm starting with a marshmallow. Yeah, there you go. Just to calibrate. I'm going to do a marshmallow. Then we're going to do a hunk of Audad shoulder. And then we'll explore every game meet in between. Yeah, that's a pretty wide gamut, I would say, between the two of those. Dude, I can't. Yeah, all right. I don't know if I, the, like I don't it. know if you can do the marshmallow. The electric griddle is just going to melt the marshmallow. No, just punch it without cooking it. Oh, okay, I got you. Just for uniformity when they do that's it. That's the spectrum. Yeah, they put like these, they put like a digital thermometer in a piece of meat. Right, yeah. They don't season it or anything. Yeah. And you cook the piece of meat to like whatever you're testing. So you get it all to 130, right. whatever the hell. Just, you just make up your mind what you want it to be. And then whap, punch it. We could punch raw too, but I feel like we should punch cooked. No, punch cooked. Completely But different. the marshmallow, just to be like, for instance, everybody knows what a marshmallow is like. And we'll yeah. hit it with the machine and it'll get like a five. Or yeah. I don't know what the hell. Probably, probably a one. Yeah, yeah, it'll get a one. It'll be like, okay, there's a one. And then we'll do like your hand. We'll do cheap loaf bread. That's even more tender than a marshmallow. Yeah, like, that'd be good. <laughs> white bread. Yeah, and it's a, a little, zero. A little chunk yeah. out of the fatty. A little chunk out of the fatty part of your hand, for yeah. instance. There but also within within <laughs> meat, right? Within meat, yeah. the white tail dough backstrap. Yeah, most likely go. everybody will agree that yes, this is tender. Also, yeah. we got to get it to a uniform thickness. Can I, can you make yeah. sure it's got a user's manual when you order? Man, I've got it. <laughs> like I've an got owner's it manual, up right here. Yeah, okay. I, I, <laughs> it comes in an owner's manual. This is right. Yeah, this is like in right Kansas. in my wheelhouse. Like They're we're made gonna be, in Manhattan, Kansas. Oh, got the guys yeah. contacting. Oh, I believe, yeah, I believe everything I hear out of Kansas. <laughs> all right, all right. So we'll get that taken. We'll, you'll hear more. You'll hear more about this test because this is going to be. This is going to be a return. Is, I'm, oh, uh, uh, get some lab coats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, we gotta wear the goggles yeah. too. Some goggles and some lab coats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll be set. Yeah, we probably need badges too. That way we look, you know, like we're serious. Yeah, <laughs> hey, you got all that. Yeah. But can we go? Can we just at <laughs> least? Is it a kit? Can we go with some salt and pepper so that we can eat it afterwards? Get some salt and pepper too. 
Yeah. We got to be careful careful with the salt and pepper because it'll adjust the tenderness. We'll, we'll season. We'll season uh, after. Salt's a desiccant. So. We'll yeah. season. We'll test. Okay, there you go. Eat. Test, slice, season. Just dip it in a little hot sauce. Yeah. You yeah. got all that? Right. Yep. Got the main it. thing is the test, though. This is getting Kit. serious. Yep. No, I got the guy's uh, phone number a, from Manhattan, We need a really Kansas good right digital scale because we'll want to have each of these pieces scaled to the same size. And I already have a good cal. Well, no, it's you got a, a caliper, but I have a good caliper. Okay. I got a digital caliper. Okay. We could even do it in metric because then it'll seem like really serious. Oh, yeah. Well, of course it's science, you know? Like we got to do metric, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yanni well, will be the only one who actually knows like, what we're talking about. <laughs> Like, I'm like, I'll buy that. But <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh, no, two miles. I'm like, oh, okay. No, about. Yeah, like, we're going to talk Three kilometers. It. I'm like, damn, some bitch measured it. <laughs> <laughs> no, in, in preparation for my hunt to Latvia, I'm now shooting all my critters in meters. <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking of meat, can I give uh, Kevin my meat so we can get this cooler off the table? Let's let's try sure that again. Let's it, try yeah. that again, but with a different lead-in. <laughs> oh, I thought it, I thought it was oh, really you perfect. Didn't like that? Yeah, it was perfect. <laughs> you didn't like yeah, that? Dude, I purposely went there. No, no, I like it. Leave that in, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a yes. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's in the cooler? A little something for Kevin. Ooh. Secret. Can't tell you. It's actually two uh, wild turkey Chick Fil A sandwiches. Is what <laughs> <laughs> there is wild turkey. Maggie Smith asked me to. Yeah. She reached out yep. on an email, said Kevin needs a wild turkey breast. <laughs> and man, I got to say, I hesitated when I saw that email. Know, that's what I'm everybody like, did. They're like, but that's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, that's hard to so give So you up. understand what a big ass that is. I can return it. Just, I need like another <laughs> month. Like our season isn't open yet. We don't have a spring and fall season. We just you don't need spring. to return it. You're, just, you're lucky that uh, not only am I a good turkey hunter, but my wife is getting to be pretty good too. Oh. And so we've got like, we're stat, we're, we always get really close to double digits in, in the freezer. And there was enough sitting in there where I felt like I could, you know, I want to hear at a different time. I want to hear more about the experiment of whether raising these turkeys has made you a better turkey hunter. Like we talked about last oh, time. Oh, like Guy Zuck? Dude, everybody Tell at my Guy house. Story. Everybody at my house right now could call a turkey. You like with speak their voice. fluent turkey. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> I mean, because those turkeys you, are gullible. Or because well, they're getting good. We haven't gotten to that yet because the, the, the major pitfall with having birds around the house is that if you let them run around, there's bird, whether it's chickens or turkey shit everywhere. Oh, yeah, man. And the turkeys mm. are much more. It's uh, an insidious dropping, too. Yeah. Yeah. Like you don't know it's there, but then it's down. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you think that just like, oh, you just take the hose to it, but it doesn't just like disappear at the hose. It always leaves like a little mark and you got to <laughs> deck brush it, you know. So they've been kind of locked up. But even then, when you walk out of our house, they're right there looking at you 40 yards away. And every time you walk out, they're like, and so what do you do? You go right back at them. And it's like everybody does it without even thinking about it. My kids walk out the door. The turkeys go, and they're like, you know, and I even caught my wife doing it this morning. I'm in the house, like getting ready to get the kids out. And she ran out to do something. I can hear her out there. <laughs> awesome. So yes, I think it, it's even though we haven't like actually played with calls and the turkeys yet, and right. like trying to call them across the yard or anything, I feel that people are listening to cadence, yep, tempo, sure. pitch, um, you know, and number those. of notes that they're doing, right? So it's helping. We had an episode long ago. I think the episode was called "The Bronze Back and the Wiffle Ball Bat." <laughs> 
and it was about this guy, Guy Zuck, buddy of ours. Um, he grew up with turkeys, and he, he used to be a competition turkey caller. Natural, what do they call it? Like, no call, right? Natural yeah, voice. voice. Oh, yeah, just yeah. voice calling, yeah. When he was a kid, he had turkeys, and he would hide with that wiffle ball bat. <laughs> well, well, but that came about because the Tom, the Tom became too easy to call in. So he would, yeah. So he would call that Tom in and hit it with a bat. <laughs> so the Got time it. would become wary. So the yeah. time would become like less likely to want to come in. And so he was he was like making like a high pressure Tom. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's a good call. Uh, yeah, yeah, I bet. That's cool. Dude, this dude, he, I was turkey hunting with him one time, man. And we get up on this, we're in this dense, like, like just, you know, oak forest. And it's real sandy soil. And we get up on this high spot in uh middle of the day, right? And he gets up there and sets to calling, just soft, you know. And um, nothing, nothing, nothing. But that dude just knew, like, he knew that he would get an answer. And he eventually just, like, squeezed it out of a turkey. He went at it way longer than most. If you're just doing, like, mm-hmm. a sound check. Yeah. He's so kind. He's like, he's like you know. Just give me a minute or whatever. I don't know. Six, seven minutes into it, you can hear some turkey. There's some turkey out there's like, not going to do it. I'm not going to answer. Not going to answer. Not going to answer. Not going to answer. I was like, like, you just couldn't hold it in, man. That's great. I love hunting with that guy. Hey, do you already have plans for that turkey breast? We do. Yeah. We're going to do, well, so we had, we were going to do two different dishes with it, but we're going to see if we have enough. So one is called a a Zagoyne schnitzel, like it's a German uh, dish. And then the other is because Maggie, um, not Maggie Hudlow, Maggie Smith is filming these. Mm-hmm. Marge. Marge, yeah, Marge. And I wanted to kind of give her a Midwestern tribute, so we're doing turkey tetrazzini, like the uh, the old school mom dish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So nice. It's going to be good. Just done a little bit better. I like it. And that'll be on an upcoming episode of- So this one isn't for Meat Eater Cooks. It's just sort of our, you know, we do these like stand and stir videos. Mostly, it started with just trying to help people- decipher recipes like you you quickly learn that people can read a recipe all day long but still not quite digest yep. it and so even just a short video five minutes or less that kind of goes over some of the points that maybe are foggy for people like changes their success rate and so what i've learned over the years is that people um if you make them more successful with the recipes that you're providing them then they kind of well they'll, be, they'll come back a lot more like mm-hmm. they'll come back and look for other stuff yeah and so we've kind of exhausted our like top 25 recipe list so now these are all brand new recipes and we're just you know filming them for the for the sake of filming them so we're going to make we're going to show everybody how to make a holiday ham out of feral hog um we're going to do this this either the schnitzel or the tetrazzini let's back up to that holiday ham out of feral hog yeah so like not like three la- three inches of fat on that son bitch, but like a feral no, like hog. completely like almost completely fat free. And you're doing like a wet brine or a dry yeah, brine? Wet brine. Yep. Yep. Like a ten day wet brine. It's what we use in my restaurants like to make them. Um and they come out awesome, man. They're really good. I holiday do it for every ham. holidays. Yeah. Not like a dry ham. No, no, no. Like um, you know, where I'm from, like there's the we call it city ham. I don't I don't know why that's the case, but the difference between country ham and city yeah, ham. Sure. So, um, so city ham, you know, like honey baked ham. Honestly, like if that's a total that's what riff I'm talking on that. about. Yeah. Are you gonna do you're getting that? Out, you're getting that out of wild crust? pigs. Yeah, yeah. It's from Ooh. from some pigs that I killed last week or the week before. So I I had my wife ship them out here to me. So they should be. They're probably here right now. Like they probably just got here. So. I just got an email from a friend of mine who's a little torn up because she had gone. She doesn't really know much about hunting. 
But she'd gone to Texas with some guys to go shoot pigs. Yeah. They just ditched all those pigs, man. Man, it's mm. bad. She was kind of bummed because she wanted to keep some, but no one even wanted to help her keep them. It's it's really mm. bad, actually. Yeah. We um we just finished filming the first episode of Sabretooth of our new show, and pigs is like the species that we hunt in the beginning of it. And we talk about that a lot. That like there's a lot of I don't know, there's a lot of bad information out there about how they're not good to eat, which is couldn't be further from the truth. It, it's weird because you have on one hand, you have like award winning restaurants. Right. You know, like like our mutual friend, Jesse Griffiths, right? Right. He's running a damn restaurant. Right. That like gets all these like rave reviews. The dude's got like a, he got, did, 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 did he, he win a beard award for a book or something he did? I mean, he's been nominated, nominated for, for, beard. Yeah, for his, for his books. Off Wild Pigs. Right. But then you got some guy five, you know, five feet away. They're inedible. Yeah. It's like, well, I don't I mean, tell that to his damn restaurant. I mean, I literally, I mean, I was listening to hunters say it to me the other weekend when we were all hunting together. They're like, ah, you, you don't want to eat that. And I'm like, I eat them all the time. I would rather eat them than white-tailed deer. I mean, personally, I think they're a hell of a lot more delicious than that. So, um, yeah, and they make great stuff. We can make tons of cool stuff out of it. So, and it's just about understanding. And Jesse's newest book, he does an awesome job of breaking this the hog down. Book. Yeah, the hog book. Dude, oh, that's a good-ass book. It's, it's so the best. Cool. In my opinion, it's the best single subject cookbook I've seen in the last decade. Like, yeah, so. I don't have like the hog experience that you have. I mean, I, I have like you know here and there a handful of ones that I've dealt with. Yeah, but I haven't dealt with like like you guys deal with like tons of them all the time. Yeah, so I can't say with you know I can't be like a hog expert, but I mean I can't imagine there's something out there that even remotely compares to that book. Not not at all. I mean it's it's seriously unbelievably well done. And that uh, dude's developed like indisputable subject matter expertise where yeah. you really you probably can't I mean, maybe somewhere there's someone that knows more. About, I don't know, man. I mean, I text Jesse about it. Like I've killed a ton of hogs and know how to and know my I mean, I wrote a book on on pork, you know, a cookbook on it. But even I text Jesse sometimes with questions about just you know, I killed one that was really big and I was curious because it did have a ton of fat if we could scald it and, you know, scrape the hair and actually keep the skin intact. Um, yeah. You know. we, we tried that once. Remember? That's right. Oh, we did. Yeah. I can't remember. We, we did I in New Zealand. We, I think. It worked good. Oh, I thought we did it with that hog we got in Florida. No, no. Remember we kept in, that big, yeah, we scraped it right there. On oh, yeah. We made our own. Yep. Chicharrones. Yeah, we made chicharrones. Yeah. We, here's, uh, yeah. You know what else we did down there? We made our own sausage casings. Oh that's yeah, right. cool. That ain't that's easy. Right. No, no, that's some work. We took all that hog gut out, but that was a hell of a night that night. <laughs> Indeed. You want to talk about a fight between some dogs and a raccoon? Yeah. <laughs> a lot yeah, of things that was, happened that, was that night before the fight with the dog and the hog. I want to real quick just give a recap of that. Yeah, night. you skipped yeah, over a, a lot of things turn. there. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I've talked about this. I'm going to talk. I'm going to tell a real quick recap of this night. We're down turkey hunting. Hunting for Osceolus, you know, mm -hmm. which you still got to get right. Mm -hmm. uh, and he, we ran into these guys. It was the guy that owned. We we're on a place where there's like a dude that leased the turkey hunting rights on a place, but then the actual guy that owned the place, we run into him, and they're pouring up some big stiff drinks, heading out. You know, like those uh, when you go to like Seven uh, Eleven. Big gulp. Yeah. Oh, boy. Like big gulp-sized cocktails. <laughs> <laughs> and they're going out in a swamp buggy to go hunt pigs. And yes. this guy's ranch, his cattle ranch, abuts a preserve. Um, a, Like a, 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 a preserve. It was dedicated to a certain species of bird. I can't remember what it I was. I think so. But the no hunting on the preserve. At yeah. All. Um, 
and where his cat where his place has been like historically grazed by cattle is like those hammocks you know so it's like it's grass it's flat grassland with hammocks of like palmetto mm-hmm. and then you go to this fence where it goes from traditional cattle country to preserve it's like the jungle starts oh, i yeah. mean if you look one direction you think you're in one like state or country or whatever you look the other direction you think you're in another country this border of like mm-hmm. cattle and mm-hmm. not and he's got a fence but he's got doors cut into the fence. So when he's fixing to go hog hunting, they oh, open those doors yeah, for a couple yeah, days. Yeah, yep. And all the pigs <laughs> invade his ranch. Yep. So the first step is to go and close all the doors. Then you turn the dogs loose. Yep. And guess where the pigs get caught? Yep. Oh man. <laughs> At the right closed up against gate. the fence. Yeah. yeah. Yep. 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 They had a dog get uh, cut real bad by a pig. And I asked him, what does your vet think about you bringing in all these dogs that are cut up by pigs? And he said, uh, it's my favorite quote ever. He said, you got to get a vet who likes to hunt hogs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We lost, a, we lost a dog on this last hunt, on this Sabretooth episode. Oh, really? Oh. We had one get gored. In the Killed neck. by a pig. Yeah. Went down fighting. Died with his boots on. Yeah. It was pretty gnarly. It was a big, it's the biggest hog I've ever killed on that property. So, like right at 400 Killed pounds. a dog. What? Yeah. Was everybody was everybody upset about the dog? Yeah, imagine. Yeah, and it happened so fast. Like I saw him get cut right as I like jumped onto the pig to stab him, but I didn't realize that he'd gotten hit that bad. So and he just bled out. Hmm. Dude, I don't know what it is. Maybe you can answer this since you've done so much more hog hunting. I just did like I went. I was in Texas a couple weeks ago and did my first ever like real personal hog hunting. You right. know, not watching Steve do it or watching someone else do it. And every time I'd see him at a hundred yards, I'd be like, holy shit, that's a giant. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm looking at Chris, the camera guy. I'm like, that thing's gotta be over a hundred for sure. And that's where we're looking at. Like the plus or minus a right. hundred range, you yep. know? And we're like, okay, sweet. Let's forget about Neil guy. Let's go try to get on this hog. And like, I get to 70. I'm like, yeah, still pretty big. Get to 50. I'm like, hmm, getting a little bit smaller. And then when I'm at like 30 yards, I'm like, man, that hundred pounder turned into like, 40 or <laughs> yeah. 50 again. Like, why is it? Because it's about it's, a pig. Why does what everybody think every bear is big? Correct. It's, and why do they think every mountain lion right. is a 200 pound tom? Yeah. yeah it's the it's true. the dimensionality of, of hogs. Like, even little hogs are shaped the same as big hogs mm. for the most part. Short of That's like, point. like this one that we killed here. I pulled up the photo so you could see it. Like, you can get a sense of how big it was. Um, but this one had a ton of Russian boar in it. Wow. And so. It was, those are, there's no fooling that. And that was born that. in the wild. Yeah. That's not one of those hogzillas oh where God. they raise it up oh and one no, day shoot goodness. it and say it's a wild pig. Yeah, exactly. No, but I mean, <laughs> honestly, on our property, you'll see a lot of ones that are clearly feral domesticated hogs. Yeah. And they're, it's pretty obvious. That's incredible. They have a completely different shape. That's a, a different strain altogether. You Do you know? remember that guy that turned up and he's got some 1100 pound wild mm-hmm. hog and it's all over social media and some, dude's like, some dude was like, hey, I just sold that guy that hog. I know the, <laughs> I know the dude who sold him the hog. I was actually, he's one of my buddies and we were hog hunting together and we were talking about that. Right. And he's like, I sold that guy the hog like yeah, a week before. Yeah, like, and in fact, he's like, here's a picture of it in my truck. Yeah. Yeah, this buddy of mine, um, he's the only person in Georgia who has a license for like live captives, like feral hogs. Like, and so he had Got just it. sold that guy. that pig. Hey, real quick before we move on. Although we haven't mentioned all the things that happened that night. Oh, okay. No, I, I please. They caught a pig that had, uh, they castrate, they caught a pig and castrated it and turned it back out. 
Uh-huh, which made the pig go from takes a... Takes his mind off... He became a barred hog. Yep. And it takes his mind off ass and puts it on grass, <laughs> as was explained <laughs> to us. <laughs> then they caught another pig that they had castrated years gone by and kept that one. Mm. To eat. To yeah, eat. to eat. Oh. And we gutted the pig and cleaned all of its intestines out and then inverted them and scraped them and made our own sausage casings, which is labor intensive. Yeah. And oh, made our sure. own chicharrones. And when I was talking about Burnham, do you remember, were you there in New Zealand when we had a, we got a big ripper going mm-hmm. and threw the whole pig in there and then dunked it in the creek and scraped all of its hide off? Nope. All of its hair off? But I always talk about that episode and I tell people that it is possible to film a whole meter episode in one day. By 11. Well, no, you guys weren't. <laughs> Maybe the hunting was done yeah. by 11. Hunt was done by 11. What, what's up with the, what's, what's up with you being a, um, oh, go ahead, Yanni. I just was real quick, was going to uh, plug uh, Jesse Griffiths one more time and say, if you're in Austin, definitely try to go to Die Due. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, if you're interested in the hog book, go to thehogbook.com. Yeah. And even if you're, if you don't think you're interested in the hog book, go buy it. It's unreal. Like it's so well done. And I mean, this is coming from a professional chef. Like it is, I, I just think it's one of the most well-written books. Oh, look I've, right I've here. Seen. I'm on the front page. It says praise for the hog book. Easily one of the best cookbooks that I have seen in years. Chef Kevin Gillespie. Right there. There you go. He's not lying. I mean, I'm just, I have multiple copies. I like give them out as gifts to people. Like I just bought like a case of them from Jesse and like anytime somebody's like, oh, I don't really know what to do with hogs. I'm like, hang tight. Like, and then just hand them a copy of this book. So, yeah. Phil, are you going down to Texas with us? We got to go down to Texas pretty soon. I am. Yeah. We got to get a reservation there. Yeah. I know. I've already, I know just I've already told to ask. Have you told him? Have you gotten us a reservation? Yeah. I wanted to see if he should join us for podcast. Yeah. Let's talk to him. Um, so tell me about this whole uh, semifinalist restaurateur. Oh, yeah. Restaurateur. That's a hard word. Yeah, restaurateur. Restaurateur. Yeah. Um, the James Beard Foundation. So it's like the easiest way I can describe it is that it is the it's like the Academy Awards for the food and beverage hospitality industry. It's a really big deal. Um, I've been nominated. I think this is my tenth nomination. I'm like the Susan Lucci of of the James Beard Foundation. <laughs> but you can't steal the deal. No, I can't ever win. I just get nominated a ton. Um, but like, I mean. Like they're messing with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I'm not like a really good loser. So I have a tendency when I don't win to show my ass pretty much immediately following that. So anyhow, um, (laughs) this year I was very much not expecting this, to be honest with you, because the the two most difficult ones to even be nominated for are restaurateur and then another one called Outstanding Chef because they're a national award. So it's not regionalized. It's like you got to cut through a lot of chaff to like make it. Um, And I was just shocked. And I, interestingly enough, I think that a letter that I wrote to the foundation this year might have been the reason that I made the list. Because you're like, what gives? I wrote him a letter and just said, you say that you care what about gives, these particular Kevin? things. Like, Well, they've, they're very vocal about social justice and social aspects and like restaurants having an obligation to improve, um, you know, in their hiring practices, all these things, you know. But then I don't feel like they reciprocate that with who they hand the awards out to. Hmm. And so I wrote them a letter and said, you know, my restaurant group is owned like by a minority as well as myself. Like we operate our own charity that that feeds 500 families a day in Atlanta. We dedicate almost half of our profits every year to that. Like and yet somehow, some way, like you seemingly overlook that kind of stuff. And then you give the awards out to people who 
six months from now end up having a New York Times article written about how they have this horrible culture inside their business. And so, mm. like, you know, put your money where your mouth is, I know basically. I know who you're thinking of. Yeah. And so... And also doing a little uh, subterfuge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> about <laughs> sourcing. Yeah. Doing a lot of things you're not supposed to be doing. And you know what, so, man? I ate there. I ate at the place we're talking about. Yeah. And I was all night saying to my wife, like, I just smell a fish. <laughs> I smell a fish. Right. I mean, it's just, it's like, so anyhow, I, I just was, maybe it was an inappropriate thing to do, but I felt compelled to do this. And so somehow, some way, I think maybe that like, I don't know, maybe that's what got me on the list. Cause I certainly was not expecting it by any means. Well, hopefully that, I mean, that's not your end goal, but hopefully that. I mean, it's glad, I'm glad you got on there, but hopefully that helps the, in the future to get other yeah. people that are actually, you know, meant to be there. Yeah, because the I was like, you know, especially that award, like what makes you an outstanding restaurateur is all about your culture and what you do as a company and how you support your team and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't, sure. this isn't like flash in the pan. It really should be an award that's given out to people who are making like a substantial difference in their localized food and beverage community, but are also like kind of setting the tone for what you would want people to do in the future. And it's really easy to talk about doing it, but I can tell you it's very hard and expensive to actually do it. And so, you know, hopefully that encourages people to to do that in the future. So, Congratulations, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate How it. How many semifinalists are there? I don't know, maybe 15 or something like that in the country. And then so, it'll go to five finalists week after next, something like that, at two weeks. People should go on, there should, there should be a social media campaign. I wish it's, that's the way it worked. Like how you actually. Yeah, well, they, they do that kind of stuff with the Oscars, man. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, I would, that'd be huge. I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody really understands how you, like who is, who is shortening the list or even then once the list is shortened, because I've been a finalist a number of times in different categories, like why this person wins and this and these other folks don't. Like I have no idea yeah. how that works, to be honest with you. We've been nominated for those sons of bitches and went down to the ceremony and everything and yeah. didn't even win. Yeah. <laughs> the last time like I was like, I wouldn't have come if I knew I wasn't gonna win. I literally it's not a great story about me, but the last time I was there, I thought for sure I was gonna win. Oh really? And when I didn't You're sitting there like going over your notes for your speech and stuff? I don't know what I was well, I was really fucking I was like antsy as shit. And then when they announced somebody else's name this is in such poor taste. I literally just stood up and said, fuck this and walked out <laughs> well, and man. then got like blackout drunk um, <laughs> off of all the free booze. So, so yeah, that's good. Kevin Gillespie, like high character story there, you know, very proud <laughs> moment for my wife and my teammates who were all there with me. <laughs> I, yeah. I would think that they would then never award you anything. Well, I was pretty sure I was blacklisted yeah. for, for some stuff. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I'm definitely apologize. I was, I was just so wound up. Like, there's so much anxiety leading into it that, like, I just blew up for some reason. Man, man. Uh, speaking of restaurants, this doesn't do the restaurant. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I told, I shared a story about my old man talking about how these guys used to hang deer until they were coated in mold. Oh, yeah. This guy writes in, and I, and I must have said something like, I don't know, at least that's what my dad said. I wasn't there. And he wrote in to say, like, he wants to substantiate the story based on something that happened to him uh, when he was uh, worked at an abattoir, a country abattoir, butcher Which shop. It, yeah. What is that? A meat an processing. An abattoir is a like, butcher shop. Yeah. You want a hell, a hell of an album is Abattoir's Blues, Nick Cave. Um, hell of an album, especially the second part. So they used to hang cattle 21 to 28 days. Right. Humidity control, large coolers. He said they would grow mold. He said the building was really old. 
The cows would start growing a gray mold similar to hair over the entire carcass. By day 21, it was thickly covering any area with protein or meat exposed from fat. And by day 28, some cows had grown bad green mold as long as two-inch strands, so two-inch strands of mold. He goes on to say this was a, this was a government-inspected building in Ontario. All kinds of protocols. When they were working on stuff that had what was deemed the bad mold, the inspector would be there all day to watch them cut the beef. They had to have super hot water tanks that drip almost boiling water into stainless steel tanks. The tanks slowly drain. Between every cut, they're required to sterilize the knife blade in the tank. When they're working on bad mold, they were required to cut from underneath toward out so mm-hmm. as to not drag the mold into the meat. Um, when they're doing the not-so-bad mold, they trimmed off a considerable layer underneath to give more of a buffer. The yeah. meat was a very tender, dry-aged, never had anybody get sick, never had any complaints. The coolers were eventually upgraded, but mold is really hard to avoid in these old buildings. Because I think a lot of folks in the country eat moldy beef. It was common at every abattoir in that county that didn't have a building built newer than 1990. I mean, part of the process, the dry aging process is such that that mold is critical to it actually working. Like that's how it takes place. So like that, that mold on the surface is, it's not only is it not dangerous, it's actually like preventing it from being dangerous. Like it's like putting a jacket on it so that the meat that is, you know, he points out that like it was, it's in areas where the protein was exposed from the fat. The fat doesn't really grow it in a lot of ways. Like it doesn't have the same effect on the, on the fat component of it. Um, but that white mold is what it would be called. The gray that he's referring to is called white mold for, um, I won't go down the list of like its actual scientific names cause it, it'll just confuse people. But that white mold is a very safe, very helpful it tells you that you're doing this at the right temp because it, it only grows at a very particular temp. It only grows at a very particular humidity level. And that's inside that range of something that's very safe. Now, that green mold on that the other two hand. That two-inch long green mold? That stuff's dicey as shit. <laughs> and it's really not – you got to be really, really careful with it. I'm, I'm surprised that they were allowed to cut it out. He doesn't I, name the place, notice. Yeah. I think that under most circumstances with modern like beef dry aging – that inspector that he's referring to will will reclaim that meat and it'll just get thrown away. Like they won't allow them to actually trim it off. So, um, because that's the stuff that will make you really sick that you have to be really careful with. And so that technique that he's talking about makes perfect sense. That's really the only path out of that is that you got to start somewhere underneath the white mold and then kind of get inside the animal and then kind of come back out and take off that whole chunk. And so you get huge amounts of meat loss in that scenario. Got it. Now with wild game though, it's completely different because there's really no, no particular benefit to you dry aging something like a deer because, and somebody, I'm sure somebody's going to write in and be like, you're wrong, Kevin. You I'm, lose not, so much. I'm not talking about hanging an animal. I'm talking about dry aging an animal. Like without a lot of, extramuscular and intramuscular fat, dry aging's effects are pretty limited. Like the dry aging component breaks down natural enzymes in the meat that are present along the connection points of the protein and the fat. And so if there's not any fat, it doesn't really do the same thing. And you will end up with just tremendous loss. Hmm. And so that's why really hanging a deer less than that 21 days is probably your best bet. Because what you do want is some evaporative 
um, you know, sort of loss of moisture because that will um, the, the just the blood itself. Blood is very acidic. And so the blood will break down the muscle protein, make it more tender and it will concentrate its flavor because you'll you're losing water. But if it shifts into that dry aging realm, you're probably not doing much to, to tenderize it that much further. And you're running a really serious risk of just having tremendous loss on that animal when you go to butcher it. Got it. Uh, we had some stuff that had been dry aged for eight, some, it was an odd ad. Yeah, it? 18 months. It had been dry aged 18 months and it was, we got into the shoulder. And if you did that shoulder and cross section, the only thing that was left, that the only thing that wasn't rind was like the size of a walnut. Right. Like in diameter. Uh, yeah, oh, I always yeah. say it's like the size of a whitetail's tenderloin. Yeah. Like a hot dog right. almost in the right. center of Running the Running through the center, and it was all rind. I imagine in another six months, the rind would have it would have become rind. And yeah. you said it tasted like blue cheese? Yeah. 100% it tasted like blue, yeah, blue dude, cheese. It was, because I, it was interesting. I wouldn't like eat it every night, but it was it was, it was like, wow, you like, know, that's I not mean, what I thought that would taste like. That white mold is the same mold that is growing on cave-aged cheeses. That's why they taste that way. I mean, it's the exact same mm. stuff. And so, um, you know, everybody has different opinions on how long you should take dry aging, you know, and it really is a matter of personal preference and taste. Um, the science behind it says that there's, that the tenderizing effects of it stop at a certain point. And then from that point forward, you're really just aging for flavor's sake. Like, do you want it to be much, much stronger tasting? Um, but it is different with game species. It's different with everything. I mean, we're talking about, and when everybody's talking about dry aging and what he's talking about is cattle, and it's just a whole different ball game. You know, you can dry age. I mean, we dry age ducks in my restaurants, um, but it doesn't take very long to dry age a duck. So, you know, and that really is just to concentrate that, um, pull some moisture out, concentrate the density of the flesh, but we're really not tenderizing it. We're not leaving it long enough for that to happen. Have you ever heard of a contraption called a Warner? Bruntler shear force test? No, not at all. It's how they measure meat tenderness. Oh, okay. And you take like, uh, you cut it to a certain thickness and it's this machine that punches three centimeter diameter, I think it's centimeter diameter, holes through meat and it measures resistance on the meat. I think that uh, all this talk about all this like dry age and this and that and the other thing these days. What I want, some, it's a long study. What I want someone to do is I want someone to take a chunk of elk meat, and I don't give a shit how long you age it, but take a chunk of elk meat and hit it with a shear force test, and then freeze a bunch of that. Right. And then six months later, hit it with a shear force test, hit it with a shear force test at 12 months, hit it with a shear force test at 18, 24. I can't keep doing 12s. Right. Because I forget how it goes. 36. Yep, there you go. 48, 48. 60, 72. Um, I used to know all the way up to 12 times 12. <laughs> so. Uh, 144. Yeah, then they don't teach you beyond that. Beyond <laughs> that, I'm like, don't. I don't know. That's why you're committed earlier <laughs> Earlier when you were like, I would have chosen 12 instead of 13. That's the reason. We've just yeah, gotten to the go. root of it. So, uh, Because I feel like totally anecdotally, but so many other people agree that you get Dan, my brother Danny, he runs his moose program. He runs his moose program where he's all he starts eating a moose at a year. Mm. He's he's got his moose program in his freezer so that it's offset by a year. So if he kills a bull in September twenty one, he'll begin consuming that bull September twenty two. Interesting. He's offset 
freezer aged. For that reason. He's like, dude, it's, you can't, it's like, it just gets, it's different when you put, it's tender then. It's not yeah. tender when I put it in there. Yeah. There's, I mean, what's, what's taking place is sort of twofold. So there's the other form of aging is wet aging, you know, and that's where you bag something, wrap something, and it's sitting in its own blood. And again, blood is acidic, so it has its own tenderizing effects. But it's in there um, anyway. That's what I understand. But it's in there anyway. What happens is that freezing and then defrosting ruptures the cells, like ruptures the cell walls of the protein. And so it does have a natural tenderizing effect. So if you really wanted to get after it, you'd unplug your fridge now and then. You unplug your freezer now. <laughs> no. and then. I mean, actually, there's a method, and it's – I can't believe I'm saying this on Meat Eater because it's a method for tofu, like to change the texture of tofu. And so you'll marinate it, freeze it, defrost it, freeze it, defrost it, freeze it, defrost it, and then every single – To make single, it extra mushy? Every single – no, it actually does the exact opposite. Oh, it does? It dense, it makes it much more dense. And after the sixth or seventh time, you end up with something that has the texture of a chicken breast or something. Really? You're like losing water. Mm-hmm. It's losing water. And the in this case, since it's vegetable based, the rigid cell walls of the are actually are rupturing completely. You know, they're not as malleable as meat proteins. And, yeah, our, remember our buddy Steve Jones wrote in to tell us. Steve Jones from yep. Missouri, yeah. I believe. Because we're always talking about how, like, oh, it doesn't make a difference if you, you know, thought some meat, put it kill, back yeah, in the Yeah, killer freezer. noms. Killer noms is, 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 is yeah. his, like, food. But he was site. saying, well, it does because of what you just explained, where it's breaking down the cell walls. So, like, if you, let's just say you did that with a elk backstrap mm-hmm. four times, do you think that that elk backstrap is going to be better or worse be, for doing It sheds a lot of that? water. Yeah, it's going to shed a lot of water. And so right. then you run into so, a risk of, like, you're, te- you're into that territory of being really worried about freezer burn or, or mm-hmm. almost freeze drying something because you're, right. you know, that's the method of effectively freeze drying is that you're using. And will it be capacity. drier when you cook it yeah, too? It could, it could very well be. You got to be careful with it for sure. So I want to back up on the hog thing. Maybe okay. Phil, Phil, I don't know, if Phil's got time, he can just go insert this back where it belongs. I, I understand like guys are doing damage control and shooting all kinds of hogs. Yeah. Like I totally get they're shooting all kinds of hogs yeah. And, yeah. And, and they don't have the time or, Whatever. Yeah. Like they're doing like a job to like do hog control. I'm not saying that they're, that you're like bad to not eat them. Just don't say you can't eat them. Correct. Right. 100%. So I see like you're shooting shitloads of hogs because there's a hog infestation. You're not going to then spend, it's like 80 degrees out. Right. You know, it's like, of course, like I get it. Right. That's totally going to happen. But it doesn't mean you can't. And uh, if someone wants one, I feel like you can't, you shouldn't tell them that they, that, that you can't eat it. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, we're not going to eat them because we're shooting. Oh yeah, because we're shooting two hundred of them. I mean, it's over just the next like week. nobody wants to clean that many of them. That's what it comes down to. I mean, at the end of the day, and don't get me wrong, they vary tremendously from this is clearly a domesticated bloodline that is now feral to this is a truly wild bloodline. Drastic difference in flavor, age, sex, all that kind of stuff like changes it tremendously. And so I can understand though, you know, you mentioned this about castrating the pig. Like one of the tricks that I'd always, that I'd learned like earlier in my life is that if you do kill one of these big boars, if you can, if you can like within the first five minutes of having killed it, cut its nuts off, it, the the meat is significantly better tasting. Really? Yeah. So, and I, I'm like, I don't even know how that's possible. Like it's heart's not beating anymore, but it seems to make a difference, you know? Maybe it's a placebo, but I don't think so. I think it makes a pretty drastic difference in the end flavor of it. So, um, yeah, and when we – look, we do – on the property that, I'm, that I have in Georgia, we're doing both damage control, trying to keep populations in check because they're out of control. I mean, we killed 300 last year, and it did nothing. So, hmm. um, 
And so there are days that you just sit, you just go down in the morning and you sit in your stand all day long, pack a lunch. And I mean, I'll literally just sit there and like, you know, watch videos on my phone and then you just shoot every pig that comes out, you know, and you just leave. I mean, you don't get out of your stand. You stay so that more will come and more will come. And because they come to their own dead, like pigs will come to check out the dead pig and eat it. So it's a pretty good, you know, chance that there'll be more. And in that case, yeah, those ones that you killed early in the day are probably not a very good idea for you to be eating. But the idea that you can't eat them is just a complete fallacy. And in reality, like, especially certain size ones, not only can you eat them, I mean, I know this because we served them at the Sabretooth dinner last week. And the commentary across the board from everyone who dined there was, this just tastes like a much better pork like it tastes like pork that's just a lot better than what i can normally get and you're like yeah that's it exactly like, i heard firsthand from a flavor. person i heard firsthand from a person who participated in that dinner who did you hear from i don't want to say oh okay loved it awesome good i mean honestly i told <laughs> this sounds like i'm being exaggeratory but he's, just, I, he's I, a private dude i think uh i think it's one of the best meals i've cooked in 20 plus years of doing this professionally i think he'd agree it was dialed in like we it was good very good Being prepared is all about having the right tools. The OnX off-road map and navigation app is the best to find off-road trails and off-grid camping and to use fully functional GPS when you're out of service. And as we all know, that being out of service is usually where the best places start. Plus, there's color-coded public and private land boundaries, which are super handy for finding off-grid camping. And I said it before, but I want to make sure it sticks. Offline maps. What this means is it allows you to access all interactive land and trail data and custom map markups when you're out of service. Just download the map ahead of time. Your phone's internal GPS gives you full navigation capabilities offline so you'll always know where you are and how to get home safely. I've been using OnX for many years. I use it, I'm not joking, on a daily basis. There is zero hunting I do without OnX. Go to onxmaps.com and use code MEATEATER to get 20% off your membership today. Man, I just got a new truck. Before I even drove my new truck anywhere, I wasn't going to drive it anywhere until I put a deck system in it. That's that's what a believer I am in decked. I always thought they were a great deal, but now they're even better. Because they have redesigned their drawer system in storage cases from the ground up. It's like, I didn't know there was a problem with them. I don't know, they seem great to me. It's just an improvement on perfection. The new system, made in the USA, gives you 10 to 30% bigger drawers to fit more gear. It's lockable and secure, right? Weatherproof storage for all your gear. You build it right into your truck bed. You still have a truck bed you can put stuff on. The top deck of the new system has eight D-ring tie-downs integrated into the steel. So you have really burly anchor points to hook stuff down on your bed. So you got to slam on the brakes or take off real fast. Nothing shifts. And like I said, they're, they're, they're D-rings that lay real flat. Like you still slide stuff right across the deck. It doesn't catch on the D-rings. The D-rings are built in. The drawer system fits any truck or van on the road in the USA from the last 20 plus years. Deck is a game changer. There's no more like leaving stuff at home that you wish you had with you. The stuff I want in my truck is in my truck, out of the way, and secure. Go to deck.com slash meat eater to receive free shipping. 
Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. These things are super cool as a gift, especially if you got mom, aunt, grandma, whoever, and you want to like keep them up to speed on what the family's up to. Okay, It's easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. Named the best digital picture frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things, Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. You can share photos to the frame instantly from anywhere, meaning you share videos, photos from any device, and they will instantly appear on the frame wherever it is in the world. There's no memory card required right now. Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code MEATEATER at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Uh, Speaking of uh, rotten old hogs and (laughs) culinary awards, we're going to go on to Meat Eater Investigates. Now, so we did our first ever Meat Eater Investigates uh, a couple episodes ago. And, and Katie Hill reported on um, going on Amazon and finding all kinds of endangered species horns for sale. Right now, we're going to hear from our very own Maggie Hudlow. Uh, and this, you actually went down. You went to Florida. I did. Yeah, I went to Tallahassee. And what's going on in Tallahassee? Why? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, so it was a, a rally. It was a lot of fishing guides. Um, Not truckers. Not truckers, no. (laughs) (laughs) Fishing guides, folks from the outdoor industry, and it was a rally protesting Senate Bill 2508. Um, And this was kind of some sneaky politics is what was going on, and that's why folks were all fired up. Um, And for folks that don't know, Florida has got some serious water issues. I mean, last year alone, millions of fish washed up on shore from toxic uh, red algae blooms and uh, everything kind of about Florida's water management issues are, it revolves around Okeechobee, Lake Okeechobee. And so it used to, the water used to flow north to south through Okeechobee, down through the Everglades, through what they called the Sea of Grass. And it act as, acted as this f- natural filtration system. But they they turned that into ag land, developed it. Well, and they had that flood that killed thousand people. Yeah, in the twenties, right? It's or yeah, many thousands of people. How many? It was a hell of a flood. I'm gonna look that flood up. Yeah, Keep going. Look that up. So they, you know, now the now the water's rerouted, and now now they use kind of these dams and these things as as little political pawns to to kind of divert where they want things to go, and so. They've been trying to figure out for years now how to deal with Okeechobee because it collects everything that comes down. So it's basically a holding tank, and it has this super phosphorus-rich water. And people still need access to this water. They need it for ag. They need it just for water. Um, And it – oh, apparently almost – 2,000 people died in the 1928 flood of Okeechobee. Thank yeah. you, Sean. Twenty yeah, 2,500 <laughs> people in a hurricane. And that, ins- that inspired, a, you know, I guess what, like a radical overcorrection or, or, or helped justify. Yep. And it was, this, it was a huge feat, what they did there. But, but then they realized that they have this water 
And they don't really know what to do with it because when it goes to the east and west, it's just this super nutrient-rich water that's flowing into these very um, fragile aquatic ecosystems. And they can't handle that. So that's what causes these blue-green algal blooms, these, um, and that's in freshwater, and the red algal blooms. And basically it just kind of eats up all of the um, all of the oxygen in the water kind of suffocates and kills fish like a mofo. It really yeah. does. Like the pictures, you think like it, I mean, it's the beach carpeted. Yeah, in yeah. dead fish and and huge, not just small feeder. Did like a manatee even wash up once or something? Multiple like that? manatees, like it's it's a massive killer. So they've been working on addressing this. They've got the. Um, the Lake Okeechobee Systems Operation Manual is something they've been working on, and that's with the South Florida Water Management District. The Army Corps of Engineers have been working on this. Kind of the best solution they've come up with currently is this EAA reservoir that they're trying to build. So this has been like years in the making. And Captains for Clean Waters, this nonprofit built by um, fishing captains that are being affected by this, they've all been working together to come up with a plan to deal with the water. And then on February 4th, SB 2508 comes through, which is a budget, sorry, a budget conforming bill. Um, State or federal? State. Okay. So this bill has so much stuff crammed into it. I mean, it, they have like planning on changing who owns a certain park. It's, you know. Sounds about right. It's, they're cramming all this stuff to just push it through. It's, it's kind of fast tracking and getting all of these changes made where previous changes with Okeechobee have been like six years in the making. And this is like three to four weeks with one period for public input. And all these guides came up for the one period of public input and they're like, Hey, we're concerned. We don't really like what you're doing with this bill. It's tying up all this money we have for Everglades restoration it's basically putting us back to a 1940s standpoint of where um, where we're at with Okeechobee management. And, you know, they were trying to raise their voices. And the senators basically told them they were misled. They shouldn't be there. Um, there, there was, like, no reason to be concerned. Um, so that's why the rally happened, because that was their one point to raise their voices. And many of them drove hours through the night, and they had two minutes to talk, and they cut them off at, 30 seconds or whatever, and we're like, no, nah, you don't need to be here. Don't worry about this. So they organized the rally kind of behind the scenes and and decided to uh, pull skiffs and boats into the front door of the Capitol. So, oh, really? Uh, yeah, it was great. <laughs> nice. It was, it was quite the ordeal, and it was really cool. It was really cool to see all these individuals coming together and like, you know, if you're going to have backdoor politics, we're going to park our damn boats on your front lawn. Like, mm-hmm. and were there arrests made? No, no, it wasn't. A, it wasn't like it that. It wasn't that big of a deal. It was okay. pretty, pretty well behaved, and uh, it was, it was funny. Uh, when I wrote about this, we were all like, everyone was wearing a hat. Like people had suit jackets on and stuff, but like everybody had a hat on. So we were in the Capitol building, and you know, everyone's that you can tell spends a lot of time in there, just clicking around in their high heel shoes, and they got their suits on and stuff, and. All of us, you know, I, I was so excited to be warm. I'm wearing, like, chacos. Everyone's got their fishing shirts on. We all got hats, like, <laughs> and we're piling into these elevators that, yeah, they're the stupidest elevators. They really, they, and then they said, they're like, yeah, I'm glad our state spent, like, $15 million on this damn elevator system. Some lady kind of, like, shimmied in to 
this whole group of us in our in our hats. And she was on the phone. She's like, "Yeah, it's just really busy at the Capitol today. I'm, I'm like ten minutes late. I'll be there soon." Got out. And she's like, "Yeah." She should have said, "All these damn hats at the Capitol are making me late." You know. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Uh, what came out of the whole thing? So the night before the rally, they put an amendment on the bill, and that amendment took some of the bad language out, which was it was a huge it was a huge movement. They um they clearly they heard the call that um that Captains for Clean Water had kind of put out there and they made some changes, but it man, sitting in that Senate building, it really just made me realize how important conservation through legislation is because if if they hadn't raised their voices, no one would have and that bill would have just slipped through without any changes made and there's still there still needs to be some changes made to that bill it's going on to be debated between the house and the senate anytime between tomorrow and friday it's not it's not totally solidified yet but currently there's still um the the entire everglade restoration budget is basically booby trapped and it's dependent on the passing of this bill like if if this bill isn't passed, they don't get that money. And it's like $300 million. But, and then the bill, the language in the bill that, that is still troublesome to people is that codifies into state law a prioritization of industrial ag water supply south of the lake over all other users. Yep. Meaning over fishermen. And that's that big sugar getting that money. And that's kind of who's. And they're saying been if you lobbying. don't sign it, then you don't get any funding. Yep. And is, uh, you know, I've been, I want to get, uh, I want to get, uh, Governor DeSantis on the show to talk about the Everglades. What he's but he's he's fixing to sign this bill. So this bill, it honestly goes against what DeSantis stands for. And, yeah, because that's he what they, he's a, like. He's yeah. taking like some political heat to be. I mean, he describes himself as a Roosevelt conservationist and has taken some heat about his stance on the Everglades. And so I wanted to have him on to talk about it. But I'm curious. Um, is like where is he at on this? So he's that and that's the whole tricky thing is that he's kind of tied. He's got his hands tied because they put all that Everglades restoration money because it's a budget bill. Mm. It's tied up in this that if this bill doesn't get passed, the Everglades restoration fund doesn't get that like three hundred million dollars. I'd love to have the guy on the show. It still has to go be debated between the House and the Senate this week. And it's because it's such a controversial and complicated topic it's likely that it's going to go to the speaker of the house and the president of the senate but that's to be decided and that's also kind of a tricky situation um because the president of the senate is backing this bill Mm. so it's I, just being down there and seeing how orchestrated the whole uh, Senate is was really, uh, I mean, they were debating things like um, what the state dessert should be. <laughs> that that was apparently a big point of concern. Did they land on key lime pie? That is what it was. Apparently someone wanted strawberry shortcake. Jerks. Seriously, yeah. that's treason. Ruining oh a good my thing. Goodness, idiots. Yeah. No, dude, I'd way vote for. I'd filibuster for uh, strawberry shortcake. They grow strawberries, and yeah. I mean, granted, Plant City, big strawberry growing region, so yeah. they grow a lot of them. But 
I mean, the key lime kind of grows in a single place. So see, this is why it's a debate. No one wants to talk about. No one wants to talk about water management. No one wants no. to deal with the serious issues like yeah. which is the we state talk dessert. About dessert. So uh, tell people where they can go. Uh, send people to your article. Uh, yeah, the article is up on MeatEater.com. It's, uh, I mean, do you want me to read the title off? Yeah, it's a Yeah, it's a 100-plus Florida fishing guides rally at the Capitol to protest bad Everglades legislation. And, and there's a, a link at the bottom you can find, for, or you can just go to Captains for Clean Water if you want to, uh, you know, harass some senators. There was one guy spoke up and he was like, God, I got all these emails and they they all seem to be coming from the same place. And I don't know what you guys are all so upset about. This is a great bill. So it's like, you know, we got to keep harassing them. They're going to pull stuff like this and try to sneak things that that really deserve contemplation and public input. Like, man, just keep harassing your senators every chance you get. Especially on water. Yeah. Because it seems like water is the thing that always goes bad. It's always the, you know, everywhere is a fight over water, it seems. Absolutely. It's a it's a hot commodity these days, and always has been. All right, Sean, here's the Duck Report. What's that, huh? You got anything else to say? I say it's duck season, and I say fire! <laughs> Sean's assignment. Yep. Was it an assignment? Well, or did you it, was, uh, it was an expansion of what we were talking about last time. So last time we had talked about age demographics and sex ratios. Yep. And part of the sex ratios is that hens are getting whacked on nests and that there's just less hens than there is drakes. And they have a lower, you know, we had talked about how long they live. Well, hens have a shorter lifespan. Comes back to that's a predator story. So... Wanted to talk a little bit about predators. Got it. Because we got into the skewed ratios. Yeah. Yep. Uh, You know, a hen mallard might live a year and 10 months and, or, you know, year and nine months and a drake mallard would live two years. And over time, since the 1980s, that's led to a divergence of that there are just way more drakes than hens. Why that is, is, um, well, as Delta waterfowl, talks about and has researched it's that there are just more predators now and that since the 1980s we've seen this kind of uh a growth of predator populations and a increase in the divergence of the sex ratio because low fur prices bro low fur prices yep and like i want to start off with saying that this is not you should start a really popular parker company (laughs) <laughs> and put and to help ducks yeah put like fur trim on the collar there we go I mean, can you we imagine can, oh, yeah. back? we can maybe do that as part of our like uh, first light line yeah. of something, Ooh, there something. we go totally. impact. hunter sourced uh, <laughs> into this idea yeah, yeah. so I want to like preface this with this isn't just wipe out all predators oh yeah of course yeah but we've had this We've had this diver, or we've had over time a change of the landscape of what the predator population looks like. You know, before before agriculture and before settlement, we had wolves and bears and no egg. And as you know, we did two things really. We came through, we wiped out bears and wolves, and then we brought agriculture and grain everywhere. 
And that's allowed the mesopredators, the mid-sized predators like raccoons and skunks, possums. Grinners. Yep. <laughs> Grinners. We, we've, we've came through and disproportionately enabled those populations, really. And up until the 1980s, we at least had trapping to kind of keep those numbers down. And since then, less and less trappers and a even more like prominent growth of those populations. To actually talk about like how much we've influenced those populations, North Dakota up until the 1950s didn't even recognize or like uh, there was no written record of raccoons being a North Dakota animal. Mm -hmm. And then now they're dispersed all across the prairie. Uh, when Delta waterfowl or, you know, in those old trapping records, they were a 0% catch. There was no trappers catching raccoons on the North Dakota prairie. Now Delta waterfowl, depending on the year, they're either their number one catch or they're their second most catch hmm. on the North Dakota prairie. Um, so you've, that like really puts a button on how these predators are spreading into areas that they weren't traditionally. Uh, Delta waterfowl's trappers, 80% of what they catch are skunks and raccoons. And those are kind of public enemy number one, so to speak, on duck eggs. It's interesting to see if you ever looked at maps of the spread of raccoons and opossums. Really? Oh, I, mean, I just, haven't seen actual map, but yeah, I'm, oh, I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, the opossum used to be like a Southeastern U.S. animal. Mm-hmm. And raccoons just a riparian mm. animal you know what else is spread in, that, that you wouldn't expect is um the javelina mm. yeah really yeah expanding yeah expanding north the javelinas have been expanding northward like in in historic times is it is it agriculture i don't know what that i don't know what the javelina yeah. thing's linked to mm. i think the possums and raccoons is like climate ag elimination of big predators yeah yeah there's there's definitely no big predators to keep them in check you know, somewhat coyotes can a little bit, but but then even really. like even like I mean, we did so much damage to gray horned owls and other things that would kill them. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And to actually put into perspective how many of those animals are on the landscape, a six mile by six mile block for a delta trapper, they're catching three hundred of these meso predators a year. Which just <laughs> yeah t for a township yeah which that's incredible uh, it's hard to comprehend how there's an egg in an area that ever hatches where are they doing their like how are they determining where to do their work yeah so that's a really interesting thing delta waterfowl is they are focusing their trapping so they've got contract trappers and that's part of their hey, mission sorry just because I think it'd be helpful for me so yeah. for everybody. Can you just tell me what is Delta Waterfowl? Yeah, so Delta Waterfowl is one of the two major duck conservation organizations, right? Ducks Unlimited being the one everyone yep. historically has recognized. Ducks Unlimited and Delta are both very important. Yeah, you hear but more and more and more about Delta Waterfowl all the time. Like mm -hmm. They do more and more work. Yeah, for sure. And like, I remember like, it seems like, you know, DU you just grow up with, right? Yeah. I remember being like, what? Delta Waterfall? It's mm -hmm. like, y y I don't go a week now without hearing about something Delta Waterfall does. Yeah. And and part of that is that they just have, they have the same end goal, right? But they have a different mission path to get there. 
Ducks Unlimited is more habitat focused. Yeah. And like they preserve shit yes. loads of wetlands. Yes. And Ducks Unlimited, like, is absolutely fundamentally important to, you know, g- keeping a lot of wetlands intact for 100 years, 200 years. Yeah. It's so like, take, they, they like raise money, yep. take money, buy wetlands, preserve it, usually turn it over. It usually all becomes public hunting ground. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Phenomenal group. Oh, for sure. Delta Waterfowl. Their mission is, okay, we have some wetlands out there and some grasslands out there that we've gone and preserved, but they're not producing ducks. And the reason they're not producing ducks is, you know, one of the reasons is predation. And so Delta Waterfowl has a really cool um, method to the madness on how they pick where uh, where they trap. So they have to have, they're looking for high volume areas, meaning there's a lot of ducks, but low grassland percentage. So their ideal place to go trap is a place that has 60 to 100 nesting pairs of ducks using the area, using a a square mile. Um, But then that area is less than 10% grass. And... You find a lot of that, you know, across South Dakota, North Dakota, right? Where you have a CRP patch next to a wetland that's not productive ground and it's surrounded on all sides by agriculture. Well, those ducks really will key in on that, like low-lying, non-productive ground to a farmer and you end up with high densities of breeding pairs there. But they're surrounded on all sides by, you know, corn or wheat or whatever and so you end up with this area of the ducks are on an island of grassland, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And they end up with a bunch of predators coming in and, and raiding those nests. Um, to kind of put into perspective like, how bad that predation is on those nests, Delta Waterfowl did a four-year study in Manitoba that over four years, those areas that were not trapped had a 2% nest success. And nest uh, success is not like, oh, the whole nest hatched. One egg ca- counts as nest success. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And so- only, One duck is a successful nest. Yeah. Yeah. So only 2% even- Had a like duck. A duck is wild. And then the areas that were trapped were 24% success. Really? Wow. Yeah. So it- like it helps, it matters, and they did this similar study in North Dakota. Um, North Dakota doesn't quite have the same predator problem like that area of Manitoba does, but twelve percent uh, non-trap nest success, but thirty-four percent success on trap. So if you can key in on those areas that yeah, they're keying incredible. in on, like it really can impact duck you know, duck production for sure. And, you know, it's not just that these predators kill ducks. I mean, there's everything likes to eat duck and duck eggs, but the, another population of animals that has exploded. That's really interesting is the like corvids and ravens. Really? Crows. Yeah. So there's more of those around, not just more, a 600% increase in 30 years. No. Yeah. And they say the great- Attributed to what? When I asked that question, it seemed more like it was conjecture, expert conjecture, but also like more access to roadkill, 
grain fields, like all, you know, I mean, think of the amount of stuff that we yeah. just kill that lays everywhere. But, but you're saying, here's the weird, the weird part about it is you get like, you're talking over 30 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you look at the big, the great fur boom of like 78 to 82 or 84, whatever, when like mm-hmm. every yeah, yeah. meso predator on the planet would encounter a steel trap <laughs> yeah. every night between November 1st and December 31st. Those days. Yep. And you're like, there's like an event, right? There's an event that had a sort of like concrete end to it. If you get into magpies, you're not coming out of that. And you could be like, there's more stuff to scavenge, perhaps. But then you'd be like, well, since what? Well, since we lost our like large scavengers, right? Mm. So you lose bears, whatever. You lose lions and stuff. um, Or raptors, whatever. But like, I don't get like the, like, why over like i don't get like what could have happened in 30 years i mean i know people there used to be like i have a book in my library of hunting books um that that makes it sound like a little more than it is i have a a shelf with some old ass hunting books i have a book like how to hunt crows yeah hardcover well yeah people were (laughs) yeah people were waging war on corvids for a while there i mean they were that's gotta be what yeah i wonder if that was like the event down the magpie and the crow and the raven populations so i wonder if it's just like seeing the rebound from that yeah and you can't canada you're still i think allowed to at least in parts of canada that they kind of still wage and war on ravens but not you know not the u.s and uh dr nikolai was talking about how the great basin over in nevada like that whole basin marsh area um it's like they don't even have a number for the increase of corvid populations there it's way more than 600 percent. and my kids and i like to set out our uh predator collar put it on crow fight mm -hmm. just put it out in the yard you can't do it too much you can only do like yeah they figure it out pretty quick um and we turned it on yesterday and didn't get any crows but holy shit the magpies Really? They on came crow to the fight? crow fight? Oh, my God. <laughs> Fired <laughs> up on crow fight. Hmm. Yeah, they were riled up. Well, you know, we we protect all those populations, right? Mm-hmm. They don't have anything wiping them out. What, what, what percent increase? 600% increase in 30 years. and That's they, incredible. Yeah, I had Joel Bryce from Delta. He He was like, when they... When those ravens really get on duck eggs, they are hell on them. And he sent a picture that is unbelievable. It's got to be 100 eggs that a raven had cached on top of a bunch of old railroad ties. That's what that is? Yep. That's a bunch of I'm broken... looking at the picture. I didn't know what I was looking at. Mm-hmm. That's a raven's cache of eggs he ate. Yep. And just sits on those railroad ties, goes and picks duck eggs. So, really? You know, everything. And he carries yeah, them back there. Crazy. Yep. It's pretty impressive, really, when you think about how many <laughs> eggs they can eat. And, you know, there's everything else, too, that eats them, snakes and whatever else. Pretty much everything wants to eat ducks and ducks' eggs. But... Yeah, we're looking at a picture here. There's a mink mm-hmm. on a nest, a raccoon on a nest, and a really cute picture of a coyote. <laughs> Just sniffing around. <laughs> like a so fixing, to, fixing to eat all the <laughs> yeah. eggs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's... They have so much more to this whole, uh, to all the research they've done and what they're doing to try to, I guess, bring people like into the fold on understanding how we can make 
how we can make more use of the land we have, right? We want more CRP, but we would also like to be more productive yeah. with the CRP we have. And you've seen it, and I tell people this all the time, like get an electronic call with a coon fight sound on it, and February, March, when you're not sure what else you should be out doing, like that's about as much. But you got to set it on a coon tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or you know, a culvert or a brush pile, like this railroad tie pile here. Oh, that's Good a perfect spot for, for, yeah. Hit, hit people with that stat on snakes, man. Yeah, so uh, Dr. Nikolai, same guy from Delta Waterfowl, he was working on the Mississippi River in 1994, Pool 8. They were putting, ra- uh, they were putting radios on ducklings that right as they hatch, they'd slip a radio under their skin and then put them back with mama. And they had caught and killed a snake that <laughs> when they cut it open, ate radios. So... It had wiped out a whole nest of ducklings. My kid was telling me the other day, he was in school, he's in sixth grade. They had a substitute teacher. He said it was a really old man. And the old man said, I'm just going to tell stories I'm not going to (laughs) teach. This is like when they couldn't get any teachers in because of COVID, right? Uh And my kid told me the story the old man told him. That he told a story that when he was a kid, he went out into the hen house and there was a snake in there. And it had big bulges in its body. So he took his machete and cut the snake in half and squeezed the eggs back out of it and put them back in the nest and they all hatched successfully. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, that's a way better like, education my, than yeah, anything they no, could have taught. Like, loves this guy. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I want him to tell me stories. Yeah, no, that's... So, you know, long story short, like, I think, the whole the whole predator thing is it'd be nice for people to kill some more. That's for sure. Yeah, but you know what? I could just picture the I mean, I, I agree. I could picture the counter argument. Well, oh, why yeah. are you prioritizing lots of ducks over lots of raccoons? It's not that you're just prioritizing lots of ducks over lots of raccoons. It's that we ourselves had the unnatural impact. Yep. Like these are not what mesopredator populations should look like. These are out of whack and they're not it's not because all of a sudden the raccoon became so much more of a productive animal. It's because we had a, you know, false influence, the Anthropocene, so yeah. to speak, on these populations. Uh, can I plug Inside Kids in an Outdoor, or Outdoor Kids in an Inside oh, World? Please. Which releases in May. You can pre-order it now and it'll ship. Well, not only that, Phil, Phil can back me up on this. I just spent three days sitting right here and did the whole audio book. Yeah, you had a whole bag of lozenges and oh, throat coat, throat tea, coat tea, lozenges. Yeah, how do you honey? Keep your, how do you keep your? That's that's the trick. The huh? first day was hard, and I went home feeling not good. And then I then I then like the same way you build up muscles, like you build up six mm-hmm. pack. I built up like a throat six. <laughs> I pack. don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. About I built that up. One. I built up. A, it, yeah. I built up a six pack in my throat, <laughs> and by the end of the thing, I could have kept going. Um, either way, in it. I like explore with, with, with how to like with kids around nature. I'm not saying that I like, I have a lot of experience now. I'm not saying I'm like right or wrong on everything, but I have, I've had like three kids and the oldest one's 11. So I've been at it a while. I've been around a lot of kids. I talk about like the perils with kids of like looking down at nature. That's gross. Mm. Right. Ziggy, mm-hmm. you. 
and the perils of like looking up at it too much that they're sort of like that that they shouldn't touch nature right that we're mm. we're gross like we're the bad ones and going near it is like it's best to look at it out the window on the yellowstone right like don't go into it you spoil it when you're into it uh and i talk about the, just this concept of like like humans are in this game yeah there is no now pretending that we're not in this thing like we have created conservation dependent species yeah for sure like we've create like we've created a situation where a lot of the things that we enjoy and want to have around we, they're now around they're not around uh in spite of us like they're around because of us at this point because of something we did yeah but it'd be painful to see ducks get to a point where they're conservation dependent right where if you just walked away and let the whole thing take care of itself considering what we've done that i don't know do they blink out I mean, they don't, they wouldn't blink out, but it might not, it wouldn't look anywhere nearly as good as it does if you're involved. Yeah, for sure. And you see, you see that separation even by flyway in North America, right? Where you have the Atlantic flyway, um, like really, you know, kind of struggling with bird populations and other areas doing better and other species doing better. And you realize just how much we're affecting that and influencing that, like, Snow geese in the mid-continent population are doing so well. Why are they doing so well? Well, it's very much so human influence. Like mm-hmm. it is very much us providing these calorie-rich grains all along their flyway. And yeah, you can't like you just can't deny that like we have a major influence on their population, their food, their predation, like the whole the whole bit. That we might influence ducks like as much as any other, mm-hmm. as, at least as much as the white-tailed deer. Like, are these guys that are doing these things? Are they? They're obviously not shy about talking about it. Are they afraid of catching shit with the animal rights people? Um, not from my understanding. No. Like, I mean, they, are, I also they, think, they obviously are more interested in ducks than they are in PR. Yeah, but and I also think that they. Like they can make that sound argument. Like this is not, this is not natural either. Too. Do you think that you could talk to these fellers? Would they ever let someone come along with them? Oh yeah, yeah. They want they want us to join up, and uh, they have a specific way they like to trap for nest success. Oh really? In like in comparison to fur trapping. So you could probably learn a thing or two. Go run yeah. around in North Dakota, do a little trapping. Put that in your note, Corinne. <laughs> See that? That's called producing right there. I'd like to know. I'd like to know what one of them trappers makes annually. You know, in case mm. this gig doesn't work Just out. Right well, yeah. Backup plan. <laughs> well, yeah, I feel like because there, I'd be like, you know what? I'm really making a difference. Yeah, every day. In case that uh, not just Hollywooding around that Werner blade <laughs> thing doesn't pan out, no. it ends up being too big an investment. Oh, trapping. No. Bankrupts meat eater. <laughs> yeah. Listen, dude. Yeah, between that and between the, the, the sheer the force test gun. and the, the punt gun yeah, the is punt a problem, gun, yeah. but we're getting it worked out. Sean, that was a good duck report. What happens next? I don't know. I got to think on that one. I'm not sure what I'm working on We did on sex. Next. I, I think... We did... I think on the next one, I want to go talk to the boys at Osborne Labs, and they're the ones doing a lot of that GPS backpack work. Mm-hmm. And we had mentioned last time about what are the... What does the odometer on these ducks look like? Well, oh, they're the guys with that information. 
Mm. So I think that'd be pretty cool. They're, uh, then what's after that? <laughs> I don't know. You know I what sure. I'd like I to hear? You... I got a story for you for the Duck Report. Okay. He's already in a typing position. I got you. You ready? Yep. Um, What led up to the lead ban and what were the results? Ooh, that's a good one. Very good. Yeah, I, w- yeah. I like that. I like that one. I want to hear that's that one. That's a good one. People, I was, uh, people, I came, I started duck hunting, like became a legal duck hunter in the aftermath of that. There were people who quit hunting. They probably weren't like diehard anyway. There were people who were like out of protest quit hunting ducks. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. When the lead ban came. Yep. It's very, you can go dig through the forums from like 10, 15 years ago when, you know, when internet forums were a big deal and there's those guys that can't help themselves. They're like, I haven't hunted ducks since... 1980, whatever. Uh, but they're there on a waterfowl yeah. forum. Yeah, right? I'd be like, <laughs> you must have really, really liked duck hunting. <laughs> you know, yeah, tomorrow if they were like, okay, you can't use steel, you got to use bismuth, I'd be like, all right. I'm quitting. <laughs> I, have a, I have a request. It was one of Clay's uh, episodes. I can't remember what he was talking oh, about. Oh, the green timber reservoir stuff? Yeah, but it was something about uh, migration because he was talking to an ornithologist that was explaining about how some of the ducks, and I'll never forget this. I was telling Corinne that we should have, because I heard it, I was telling Corinne we should just have an ornithologist on this show, but about how he thinks that some of these ducks that are flying down the center of our continent heading south, that in one ear, they can hear the Pacific, and then in the left ear, That's they insane. can hear the Atlantic, and, that on, and then on their horizon... The stars that they're looking at are not moving because of the way that the world spins amongst the stars. The stars above them move, but the ones on the horizon that they're looking to don't move. And just like all of that was like that he feels that they are literally sensing oceans on either side of them and they know which one it is. And that's how they get from point A to point B. They're, I don't know about that, but I like the idea for <laughs> I like the idea for Duck Report. Yeah. How do they know where they're at? Mm, there's some really good stuff on that. I've already done some of the legwork. Oh, shit, you got on four that, Duck so. Reports right yeah, there. Holy cow, we're Plum, at you got the odometer. Yep, Osborne Labs stuff. You got the what led, led up band. to the lead band and what happened after. Yep. You got the Yanni's thing about how they could feel the oceans. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're set for a few months here. Duck special powers. How often do we do a Sean's <laughs> Duck Report? We're doing them once a month right now. Oh, geez, there's like 30 of your years done. Oh, man, I have the best idea for a little musical bit. For Sean's Duck Report? DuckTales, ooh. <laughs> oh, yeah, now I'm feeling yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. All right, everybody. Go, uh, I don't know. Go pre-order Outdoor Kids in the Inside World. If you have kids or you know someone who's fixing to, already does. Get all your questions answered. How old should my kid be before I give him a gun? What happens if a kid sees a deer die when he's real little? All those questions. Why do they always make mess camping? <laughs> and if you don't have kids, download Rut. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or download Rut, and then pretty soon you'll have kids. Then you'll need the book. There you go. We get them coming, we get them going, Actually, man. what if we do a this package called, deal I here? I think it's called vertical integration, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody, thanks for joining.
Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. It is a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that they need and that meets them where they are and helps them get through challenges. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible. It's simple to use. You can connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com.